Wrestling Geeks enticing episode of wrestling geeks alliance a weekly show in which me and my co-host christopher brother ray Patton talk about the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and provide you with reviews of the shows and the pay-per-view events from the previous week and uh this is a, a second show that we're going to be getting in well a first of two shows i should say that we're going to be doing this week we're recording strangely since we usually do on saturdays on a thursday we got to cover WrestleMania. We got to go over a little bit of the Broken Skull session uh, with Mr. Chris Jericho and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And uh, mainly because of a bunch of shit that happened today, uh, which I guess we can just make a, a an automatic, I don't know, thing to talk about WrestleMania, a Broken Skull session, what, and also releases from WWE on the 15th, since this is a, a year after we talked about this beforehand. Uh, so you guys know what's up. We'll get into it, but before we do that, my co-host, Mr. Christopher Brother Ray Patton, the King of Kings, more so than even Triple H. Yeah, but it, I'm not the King of Shovel style, unfortunately. That that only belongs to Triple H, right? That's that's right. You know, you say once in a in a while, I, you get a shovel, you get to hit someone. Hey, but you know, my dad, uh, Vince McMahon Jr., you, you guys know who he is. <laughs> he hit me in the head with a shovel because a couple of these guys that uh, he released, I actually uh, could have used on my program. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> Hopefully Aleister Black and Ricochet are next, you know. <laughs> Sean, I'm not crying. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting episode, man. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, week's been going good. How about yours, bud? I've been going good, man, uh, until today. And I was like, this is not really – I don't know how I feel about this because, you know, just to get into it because I, I don't really – we, we kind of need to get into it. I don't want – like I made that joke about Ricoch Ricochet and Aleister Black. I don't want anyone to lose their job, obviously. And this sucked, you know, a year ago for a lot of people. But the outpour on Twitter from some of the people that actually got released – or people that previously got released a year before, whether it be Mike Bennett, whether it be you know um, uh, just 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 multiple people, Matt Cardona, for instance, uh, just saying, hey, you know, guys, this sucks. It's going to be scary, but you're going to be fine. Like every single person basically that got released, you're extremely talented in your own way, and you guys are going to be fine outside of the WWE bubble. And a lot of the stuff being said, basically that. You're going to be creative. And it was nice seeing Chelsea Green was like, screw this. As soon as it was done, she was like, I'm coming back. And she had a, a picture of Laurel Van S with the crazy, you know, bride makeup and, and whatnot. So, you know, it, I just can't believe it, man. Uh, Chris, like last year, obviously, it was it was extremely messed up. And this does tend to happen with WWE just releasing a chunk of people around this time last year pandemic was going on you know it was fresh in everyone's mind 
And then they release however many they did last year, including staff, you know, workers, bunch of producers and whatnot. Um, and they made so much money uh, because of their deals, you know, and everyone was was pointing out the Fox deal. Now they made so much money with with uh, the, the deal to to be on the cock, a.k.a. Peacock. And they let go of a bunch of wrestlers. I mean, I understand you might not have anything to do with them. But I, I just feel like you could have done more, and you you took years off some of these people's careers. So to all the wrestlers, man, I can't wait to see what you do next because I'll actually be able to see some of you do something next, uh, unlike being off television or being forced to commentate uh, because they think you're injury-prone and, and, and you've had too many concussions uh, under their wing, I guess. Which makes me really think it with with Joe specifically. Before I pass it to you, Chris, it was the fact that he was older. They never saw anything in Samoa Joe. I feel like, well, NXT did, uh, but Vince in the past, and it was like one of those older wrestlers that are from the the 2000s that he didn't really want. That were TNA and Ring of Honor, uh, not like a Punk or or AJ Styles, but. He just didn't see it, and I guess he was going to sideline him for the rest of his career. Like, I guess even with this 90-day no-compete that a lot of them are, you know, probably going to have to go through unless they decide to do what they did with Andrade, I I just – this sucks. This, this, is, this, is, this is really fucked up. Yeah, this know. time of the year always sucks because we're always going to get these releases with Samoa Joe. Doesn't it feel like a uh, man? Who is he reminding of? Man, I'm thinking, thinking, uh, <laughs> he got macho man. Like this is the equivalent of what happened to macho man, basically towards the end of Joe's career here. Yep. At least his career in WWE. I don't ever see him coming back, but before we get into this, do you want to just read off the list of the people that got released in case people listeners out there didn't catch it? Yeah, no, that's a good idea, and I got uh, Wrestling Observer, even though the website's now freezing because my internet sucks. Um, hold on one second. Let me just refresh this real quick. I will say, before we get into this, while this is uh, loading back up, there have been some mentions that there are some pretty... It's pretty messed up that a lot of these people that have had good track records have been good wrestlers. You could find something for them to do. They weren't even asking Bo Dallas to do fucking main event shows. He's been sidelined for like two years. And I think he's going into, you know, moving on with a life with him and Liv Morgan outside of wrestling, which is kind of sad since he was talented. But, you know, you still have wrestlers that have some pretty disgusting skeletons in their closet. Uh, one that I was a big fan of, you were a big fan of Elvatine Dream, who has not been released, but, you know, the wrestlers that we're about to talk about, do you have, do, do you think that's kind of messed up? Like, some people are trying to group in other situations I think are different, but, like, you still have Elvatine Dream on your payroll. You didn't let Aleister Black go when he asked for it, or even go to NXT, and you release a lot of people that had fine records and a lot of them like Mickey James and Samoa Joe were legends in the industry. Yeah, it's a little weird and it does have kind of a gross overall feel, but with someone like Velveteen dream who me and you have credited as someone you could build the company around before all of that stuff came out. I'm thinking the WWE sees him as still an asset that was homegrown and built there. That's never really worked anywhere else. And I'm, 
I'm assuming they're hoping that people will just forget like a year down the line. I know that sounds terrible, but that's my guess with someone like him with, with someone like Alistair black, where it's like, you're not using the guy he wants to be released. Um, but you're hanging on to him. It's, it's kind of, it is kind After of you odd. fired his wife. <laughs> yeah. You're pretty Publicly. much just, you're pretty much just hanging on to him for no reason at this point. And, and like I said, maybe he shows up on, on a Friday, this Friday SmackDown or something. And maybe that's why he's not included here. And also sometimes these releases go two days. So we might hear more tomorrow. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, I mean, for some of the talent that's, that's like you said, people that have had these controversies, uh, you know, not Matt riddles was maybe not as bad as Velveteen dreams, but you know, Riker also had some controversies. A few of these people that are either on the main roster or active members, are still there versus like you said, legends like Mickey James and Samoa Joe. And maybe that has a lot to do with the fact that they don't want to do WWE's bullshit. I'm going to say like maybe Samoa Joe has been offered to do storylines and he's like, fuck that. Um, but with that CM Punk Twitter post, it kind of made me feel that <laughs> Samoa Joe is going to have some stuff to say once this 90 day non-compete is over much like Moxley had some stuff to say. So that's going to be interesting to hear. Expect a Jericho uh, episode, basically. Yeah. <laughs> tell all. Um, but yeah, it, it, you you make a good point with that, uh, and who you keep and who you release and and why you keep them. But I, you know, at the same time, Vince is trying to protect that roster because if he sends the wrong person to AEW, they become a huge star over there. While Vince currently doesn't see them as competition, as we'll talk about with this broken skull session, I'm guessing. Um. It doesn't take much, especially, like I said, I think there was a big hype train behind Velveteen Dream, and that's why they're protecting him. But there's other people like Matt Riddle and a few others that they see as legitimate superstars, so maybe they can look past uh, some of the negative publicity and and think that if it goes long enough, people will put it out of their minds, which is not a good way to look at it, but uh, not unheard of, even in professional sports, not necessarily just WWE, Hollywood realm. You name it. I, I hate mean, I hate to harp on it, but it goes back to what's their yearly award that they give to people for doing acts of kindness and amazing stuff like they did with Tyus O'Neill. What's it called, Chris? The Warrior Award. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people, I mean, people get mad at me for bringing that up, but I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Especially, like, you know, with Hogan and stuff like that, like, and we'll talk about that at Mania and stuff like that. The, the, the reaction that he gets is very granted, but for some reason, someone like who didn't even give a fuck about wrestling. I, I just don't understand that double standard. And just the fact that people just give up ultimate warrior pass because they liked him when they were a kid or some shit. Ugh. But you know, that's <laughs> WWE and integrity, you know, their whole entire Saudi Arabian deal. Well, you know, they pulled Hogan from the Hall of Fame at one point, or at least took him off the website, if you recall, and then he's back now as a host, and that's a whole different can of worms that we can open at some point, I guess. But, you know, the the other glaring one is Jimmy Snuka is still in their Hall of Fame. Yep. Uh, But you were right, though. We should probably list the people. So we got Samoa Joe, which we mentioned. Uh, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, uh, formerly the Iconics, uh, Mickey James, Chelsea Green, uh, Tucky, a.k.a. Tucker, Kalisto, Bo Dallas, 
and Wesley Blake, and I'll explain to everyone else because I explained to my co-host, and I don't blame him because I don't expect people to remember Wesley Blake, but he was rim job or whatever the fuck the guy was with the weird hockey mask in Retribution. Um, what what the hell was his name? Rimshot. It was it was the most bizarre one. I felt bad for him. <laughs> slap nuts. <laughs> slap nuts. Slap nuts. That's what it was. And he was also in the Mighty. Pretty good tag team. NXT never really did. I don't think they won the titles or anything like that. Um, but you know, no offense to him, but that's he's definitely lowest on the totem pole. I will say personally before I pass it to you to go over individuals. First, we'll just talk about the uh, performer in the WWE. Uh, or in general, and then we'll kind of say maybe like where we can see them going within the future. Samoa Joe, I don't understand how that situation didn't work at all. I don't, I don't get it. Uh, credible wrestler, respected in the industry by so many of his peers, incredible on the mic. Yeah, he might not be a body guy, but I just, I don't, I don't understand. Like, he's Samoan. Like, a lot of them outside the fucking Rock and, and Roman Reigns, they normally look like that. So, and not only that, but he, for his size, how incredible of an athlete he is, the intimidation factor, the fact that he can come off as a baby face and have his commanding presence and then be one of the most ruthless heels if needed. Uh, the fact that he learned so much with announcing, you know, um, and, and came off as a good commentator. You could tell that they were feeding him shit, but between the interviews he's been recently doing, the one-on-ones on, on the bump and on the network, and also just commentating and, and apparently learning production stuff, like wanting to get better in the back, you just gave a very well-packaged, uh, I think, superstar to the pickings. Uh, and... I'll go down the rest of the list with these other people, but he is the most glaring one. How the fuck, if 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 you really thought that he was accident prone, um, or you were worried with concussions, stuff like that, even if he gets cleared, which he did uh, as of recently, and you're still desking him, why not send him down to fucking NXT? Like, I feel like... With a lot of people, Bo Dallas included, that I, that was rumored that Triple H would like to have him back like a year ago, why not put some of these superstars you're not doing shit with in a platform where they were doing something now that it's on USA? I, I just – none of this fucking makes sense, especially Samoa Joe. Chris, I don't know. Samoa Joe, what the fuck? <laughs> That's all I got to say. Like, How? So, I mean, he had a really good run in NXT, right? Became the NXT champion, beat Finn Balor, um, was the NXT champion, was a huge deal, got brought up to the main roster, had a pretty good run there. Two very memorable feuds, one with uh, AJ Styles, if you recall, hey, Wendy. His, you know, I think where they missed the boat with Samoa Joe as far as getting him to the next level as in, in front of the WWE crowd is when they had him cut the promo on Paul Heyman and then lose to Lesnar. I think at that point they could have strapped him up, strapped the rocket to him, and he could have taken off from there. Instead, they had him like doing weird tag team matches with Kevin Owens and stuff months later, and he got injured by the same team twice. So if anything, you should kind of blame WWE for putting inexperienced people like AOP in the ring with Samoa Joe and having them drop him on his fucking head. Um, 
I don't know if that's why they put him behind the desk. I mean, the concussions was a big part of it to do something with Samoa Joe because he's such a great promo. So I understand that to some extent. And there's nothing out there, and I haven't heard any news of this, but I'm assuming what's coming from this is Samoa Joe's been cleared to wrestle for a while now, and he's seeing people like Edge come back and like all of these guys you never thought would wrestle again, and they want him to toe the line behind the desk. And I'm sure that Samoa Joe's like, hey, man, I would like to work at WrestleMania. That would be fun. He's 42. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I'm sure he, he would like to wrestle again or at least have one big moment. Now, the biggest thing, and, and we kind of talked about this off air, is if you have someone like Samojo, even if you plan to release him, maybe go the route of just paying him the rest of his contract to have one feud, and that feud being who's head of the table, have, have Samoa Joe show up and, and talk about how Reigns is uh, you know, kind of just disgracing the Samoan legacy, even though they're not I don't think they're related at all, but you could still talk about like the way you're using this on TV, whatever, Samoa Joe, he can make it work, right? And then you do a loser leaves town match at a pay-per-view. And that's a huge fucking deal. But instead, what they do is they're like, they're the guy on commentary for forever. They change their commentary teams right after Mania, and they release the dude, which is going to suck for them because, I mean, there's rumors out there that Ring of Honor is getting a national TV deal. There's obviously, he could go to Ring of Honor, he could go to AEW in theory, which we could have that discussion here in a bit because I'm when we get into where they're going to go, I think there's some discussions to be had just about the AEW roster in general. But there's a lot of things that Samoa Joe can go and do. Um, one in particular that stands out in my mind, and probably the biggest, is I, I think he could go over to New Japan and be like the biggest gaijin heel uh, in that company. And I would love to see him feud with like Midoriya Suzuki and Naito and and some of those guys. You know, he could have really great matches with. Yeah, I, I just this is he's 42. He's got all this experience in different fields. He's a legend, and like you said, you know, I liked your scenario. I, you know, just just scenario of make some fucking money off of it. Even if like I know that that Vince might not understand wrestling fans, uh, but the, he has no idea that Samoa Joe has some name value in headlining a pay-per-view that you're probably not going to have that much of anything for. Uh, and I love your idea of like calling out Roman, let this be the first feud, let him get a little ruthless about it. Maybe choke out after Sika. I'm sure they'd be down for it, even though they're like a hundred. Um, and, or I guess he would be the baby face. So I don't know, but you could still do it. Roman Reigns cuts him down and Samoa Joe's gone. Or like I said, Papa rating, for USA with NXT, have him come down. And I mean, there's two people, even three people actually, that I can see him doing something with. There's Killer Cross that could help Killer Cross and elevate him of him doing the same thing. Uh, Bronson Reed, who has a very similar look and style. And I know looks up to Samoa Joe or Walter, which is like the dream match of dream matches. Any of them beat Samoa Joe and have him go packing. And it was the platform in which he came in. It would probably be, a good way to go out and probably would help ratings or like you're saying with Roman Reigns, a pay-per-view like, or even if it was, even if it was Lashley, cause they had feuds and impact and shit like that, him going through Samoa Joe in a pretty damn good back and forth match. Um, you know, Lashley's not the best in the ring, but I've seen a specific match with him and Joe and Joe brought him to a pretty good match. Like 
you could have done something big with him in general. But if he if you're going to if you're going to bench him and then kick him out, you might as well make some fucking money off of it. I don't know. Maybe they're not worried about it with the whole Peacock deal since they're already guaranteed cash at this point. Yeah, it's it, it's crazy to me that you wouldn't at least either just pay him the rest of his contract and do some big matches before on his way out. But maybe that's just a very old school way of looking at it, Dane. Like apparently WWE doesn't care about loser leaves town. They're just like, hey, we came to terms with Samoa Joe. Well, it's like, what what about all the Samoa Joe fans <laughs> out there? Uh, you didn't give a good send off. And and to me, he's the he's the biggest atrocity. The rest of the releases on here, while they suck, there's various reasons you could point out, you know, that they shouldn't necessarily be there. Like Mickey James, I love Mickey James, but they've killed her character for three years. With Samoa Joe, like Samoa Joe was still having good matches and part of their upper to top card before he got hurt. So it it's a bit weirder than some of the other releases. But whatever, man. Like I think PBR you know, signed him. <laughs> yeah, PBR signed him. That's true. <laughs> what, what, what did you say they're gonna start their own wrestling brand? <laughs> so before we went on air, sorry to interrupt, but this is a Oh, man. Uh, we were talking about this. So PBR tagged Samoa Joe and said, we just want to let everyone know that we signed Samoa Joe, which is pretty cool, PBR. And Samoa Joe retweeted it and said, hey, we got to keep this on the wraps. I got a 90-day non-compete. I said, PBR, get with Gallows and Anderson, you know, the the WrestleMania, whatever the fuck the, the talking shop of mania is, give a little bit of a budget and do, like, events where it's called XWWE, like, you know, and you sponsor it and you only have XWWE performers a part of it. <laughs> and you could do the characters still where they're not playing themselves and do that type of shit. And the only non-WWE is the biggest baby face in the company. This was, this was your idea, Chris, Nick Gage. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Nick not? Gage will be the only baby face non-WWE. <laughs> Nick Gage, the PBR champion forever until like the Briscoes show up, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> In a four-way match, New Jack, Nick Gage, and and Jack Briscoe. Jesus Christ. Uh, I I love I love that PBR just shouted that out. That's fun. Hopefully he does do some advertising with him. That'd be hilarious. Even if it's just for social media, I'll, I'll get I'll get a kick out of that. All right, so let's go through these other people, because um, I do want to mention them. So we have the Iconics, which I always said Billy was better on the mic than she was in the ring, but I thought Peyton had more grace in the ring wrestling. But the thing is, like, I just never understood why they make this tag division and the women's tag division, have them be the second champions, the one to beat Bailey and fucking Sasha at Mania, and they're the only real tag team you have, and then you just break them up, put them on two different brands, try to put Peyton into this weird tag team that doesn't work, I, I think with Dana Brooke, I don't even remember any fucking more. Maybe it was Lacey Evans and Billy Kay doing this whole entire thing, and they're gone. Tucker... Hey, I think a lot of us saw a lot of potential in Tucker just because he's big and can do a lot of cool shit. Um, and I don't know why they broke up Heavy Machinery now that Otis is a heel with uh, Chad Gable. Kalisto, I mean, I hate to be, but 
Kalisto's been there for a long time, so I can kind of see, unfortunately, that that door might be happening with him. Uh, Bo Dallas is sad just because of how long they've sidelined him. Almost two years. Like, come on. Like, you ripped the the the, the wrestling want of this guy, who was a really good in-ring wrestler from the stuff that I've seen from NXT and, and then also him on the main roster. And he had that, that Believe gimmick that didn't really work as much as it did on NXT. But you never try to do anything with him. I forgot who posts on Twitter. I think it was Bully Ray, like, why didn't they at least try to do something with him and Bray since they are actually brothers in real life? And then Chelsea Green to me is someone I've thought of for, like highly regarded for a while. I think she's great. She gets – she's Matt Cardona's obviously his, his fiance, but besides that, she gets the character aspect, the Laurel Van Ness character and Impact, the crazy bride, but she's also a pretty damn good interim wrestler. I think that her match with Britt Baker – uh, Tessa Blanchard and um, Madison Rain at All In was really good, and a lot of it had to do with her fucking crazy sporadicness. So they try to make her more cookie cutter, I would say, and I think she's going to do excellent outside of WWE. But she's someone that I thought I saw potential in out of all the names that I listed, you know, outside of Samojo, obviously, but like or Mickey James, who's a legend, and like we said with Mickey. I'm happy she gets to fucking go, man, because her one of her best friends is Melina. Her husband's obviously Nick Aldis. They're both in NWA, and I think anyone would want to have Mickey James as a part of their roster because of how good of a wrestler she is. So it just, with a lot of those other names, certain ones it kind of sucks because there's rumors that Vince saw a lot in this person, that person, and pfft, all of them. Just, all right, bye. You can sit on your ass for a little bit less pay for 90 days and then go somewhere else. Don't give him the 90-day non Just let him be like Andrade. Let him fucking go tomorrow. I doubt it, though. Yeah, so with Kalisto specifically, he's one you brought up. He, he's ba- he was basically wrestling to the end of his contract, and he came out and said that because he asked to be released, and they said no, and he pretty much said, well, I don't plan on me re-signing. I'm wrestling to the end of my contract. So his release is not that surprising. Um, but you could have done it like a long time ago, <laughs> I guess, because he wanted to go back and work uh, AAA, um, which obviously they didn't want him to do, I guess, for whatever reason, because WWE and AAA are in direct competition with one another. Uh, Tucker, they never paid off the feud with him. And <laughs> I mean, he screwed over his tag partner and best so friend. Dumb. And then just, he just was never on TV again. <laughs> So I don't know what happened there. I don't know if maybe there was an Enzo type thing or maybe not. It's not to the same extent. It, maybe he had heat backstage is what I'm getting at um, or something. Well, he was happy about it, man. That picture of him on Twitter saying, I guess I'm making lemonade, smoking a joint while playing golf. I guess that he's kind of over it at this <laughs> point. Yeah. So like good for him. Uh, Mickey James, like I said, you you killed a legend for three years. It just sucks because that's three years out of her career and she could have been doing stuff in NWA with Thunder Rosa and, and, you know, before COVID at least. I think she would have been a good get for them or even going back to Impact as uh, a Hall of Famer. She could have been wrestling like Gail Kim and a few other people. And um, we didn't really get to see that, unfortunately. They treated her so much better in NXT. They treated her like the legend that Asuka had to beat. And it was kind of 
And this is when I first started watching uh, wrestling back, fuck, 2015-ish. Um, you know, it it was, like, pretty awesome, even though she had the streak going that Asuka beat her. And then they didn't do anything. And she's been a big component of calling out the industry of wrestling, and especially WWE, not very subtly about how once, like, with guys, they can keep on going until the fucking wheels come off. But... Once, like, ladies, like, start approaching their fucking 50s or even their mid-40s a lot of time, oh, they're too old. Like, give me a goddamn break. Like, Mickey James, not only is she gorgeous, but she's an amazing wrestling mind. She's going to do – I mean, if you really want to spy- – well, well, we'll go into that aspect in a second, but let's just finish up. Uh, any Anything else besides we talk about the future? Anything else about these wrestlers specifically? Um that you want to say about their WWE run? Uh, yeah, with Chelsea Green, I kind of get them releasing her. They probably see her as injury prone because unfortunately her entire time there has been spent on the injury block. I mean, even her debut on SmackDown, she ended up getting injured. At, at some point, you do see that as I'm paying someone that can't wrestle or can't wrestle for me. But I agree with you. I think that she is a huge talent that I wouldn't have changed her gimmick as much. Uh, as they did, I think that she'll probably, once she's healed up, go to somewhere, maybe back to her home in Impact, or maybe show up on AEW and do some cool stuff. Who knows? I think that character goes a long way. And like you said, that match, she's proven that she can have great matches, like that all-in match, the one that you referenced earlier, is a good example of that. So, um, But is WWE right? Is she injury-prone? And, and that will we'll just have to see how that turns out right you never you never know what that's gonna be like but uh like so like wesley blake that like they're not gonna do anything with him after retribution so some of the releases are kind of your common wwe releases the big surprises would be the people that we've already kind of talked about with samoa joe and, and and mickey james i guess being the biggest but even with mickey james i'm assuming that she was just fucking miserable being there Why didn't seem happy whenever I heard her in interviews and like busted open and stuff. She sounded like, uh, you know, I'm just going through emotions. Yeah. Well, she's in their Hall of Fame, right? I think so. Why? So why would you ever treat a Hall of Famer like that? Like have something for them to do and make it special, and and they don't need to be there every week, and they definitely don't need to be like pulling jobs to Alexa Bliss and whatever. And if you're gonna do that, make it special, make it a build up like they did with Oscar. Um, so, I mean, those are the two that I guess are to me the biggest. Well, let's, let's, let's be positive and kind of fantasy book a little bit. Um, we'll, we'll start with talking about Samoa Joe cause he's going to be the biggest name. Then we'll separate it with everyone else. But Samoa Joe, he can go wherever he fucking wants. Um, I don't know if this injury is bigger than, you know, we're believing it is like he's been clear, but I don't know if Joe has anything to do with that type of decision. I'm assuming, since he said he's been cleared, that he's not. But So if he's healthy and he can start wrestling, I mean, New Japan, it would be awesome. Um, Ring of Honor was a home of his for a while. If they could pay him enough money to come back, maybe he goes there. Um, Impact, he obviously spent a long time part of his career. I think the one that makes the most sense is either New Japan or AEW, personally. Um, New Japan, it's like he could just add another area that he hasn't. I don't know this actually. Uh, I know that he's done stuff with Dragon Gate, 
or not Dragon Gate, um, Wrestling Noah, but I don't I don't recall if he's directly been able to go over to New Japan and, and have a long program there. Uh, that would be a cool part of his career to see. AEW, it's like of all the names listed, I feel like Samoa Joe is the duh that Tony Khan would get his fucking checkbook out for because he can help out in the back with, with wrestlers. He can add a lot to the lineup they already have. Yes, they have a lot of people, but Tony Khan was on Busted Open a little while ago. They're, they're going to be starting that third hour or the, that one-hour show on TNT soon in the future. They're definitely trying to build with their YouTube shows, even though me and you always say they don't need to worry about those compared to their bigger network show. So Joe's a fucking star, man. He's great in the ring. There's so many matchups you can make. You know, there's so many different options. Uh, I, I I just feel like he's someone that is a pretty damn big star. He's going to be ambitious. He's going to have some aggravation, maybe Moxley-esque, you know, when he gets to finally fucking talk about it. And he can contribute a great deal and be an awesome babyface and or heel and eventually an announcer. Do whatever the fuck on something like AEW if he wants to do that. But New Japan's always intriguing. Samoa Joe versus Okada. Samoa Joe versus Tetsuya Naito. Uh, Samoa Joe versus Minoru Suzuki. Um, yeah, that's I'd love to see that. The one thing all these guys have going for them, though, uh, Chris, that you got to realize that Forbidden Door concept is kind of true. People, New Japan Impact, AEW are sharing talent um, a lot more often than you would think they would be. NWA as well. So a lot of these guys, I think their avenues are even more open up than a year ago with all the talent that got released from WWE because of the interconnecting and people working together to some extent of Samoa Joe being like, hey, I want to work with you, AEW, but I want to go over to New Japan and work with them for you know a time period in the future and work that out in his contract. He's a big enough star, I think, to make shit like that happen, and people would cater towards him. Am I am I crazy for thinking that? No, I don't think you're crazy at all. It makes a lot of sense. And and what I would say, if, if I'm AEW and I was going to sign Samoa Joe, I would kind of do it through the back door where it looks like he gets signed by Impact. And then have him have a run on Impact before you bring him over to AEW since you guys already have a working relationship. Because you're immediately going to get criticized by fans by saying you're just signing old WWE people as soon as they sign him. But to me... Samoa Joe is not a WWE person. He's no. more of a Ring of Honor Impact guy, and it would make sense for him to go there to Impact, have like a huge run, win that title, um, or be chasing Kenny for that title, depending on if they're ever going to do pull the trigger on that. Uh, and then you know he can still work on at both companies if if they wanted to do that. I love the New Japan idea. I just don't know that Joe wants to travel <laughs> like often enough to do that where it would make sense. Like if it was me, I would want Joe into the G one and in a few other places and Gato probably realizes that's not going to happen, but they could bring him in to do something like they did with Jericho um, and make it a big deal. But uh, there's, there's still rumblings that ring of honor is actually getting national syndication on some network. So maybe if they decided to throw the checkbook out, like they did with Marty scroll before all that crap happened, 
uh, Samoa Joe would be a huge yeah. gift for them. Even and creatively. It, um, yeah, sorry. I, I, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say, I'm sure, Delir- like when you said creatively, I was going to say, I'm sure Delirious would be happy to have someone uh, <laughs> help him out a little bit. Uh, but I mean, like you could, there's a lot of good matchups there too. Like I would love to see Joe versus Jay Lethal now that Jay Lethal, I mean, we saw it in Impact, but Jay Lethal is now a former multi-time Ring of Honor champion and you're bringing back the legend Samoa Joe. There's some cool shit you could do there. But yeah, I mean, like you oh, said, yeah. Joe, Brody we, King, uh, Shane Taylor, I'm trying to think of like a lot of awesome fucking wrestling matches. Uh, besides Jay Lethal, but yeah, Jay Lethal as well. Even Jonathan Gresham for being small, but both being submission wrestlers, like he'd have a lot of fun, especially with how Ring of Honor is now. Yeah, and like someone like Hot Sauce, right? Like that would be a fun match. Yeah. Like there's some really cool shit they could do in Ring of Honor with him, and he could come back as a legend. Thing about Joe is, like you said, he's kind of the guy on this list that could go anywhere, and it would make sense. Um. With the only thing I would say about AEW is you just brought in Christian Cage, and we still haven't seen that flesh out. You have Sting, and he's kind of a manager. It seems like you're bringing in a lot of big names that you don't necessarily have a lot of stuff to do. And with Joe, wherever he goes, I want that to be a focal point of the show and should be. Now, if you're going to bring him into AEW and put him with Taz again like they did in Impact and have him have like a crazy-ass run, or if he's going to come in for Moxley who needs a friend or an enforcer – uh, that would make a lot of sense, but I don't want him to show up and just be a guy on their roster. And I know they're getting that that extra hour of TV eventually, but like, when is that? <laughs> and also, they have like a hundred people on their roster. Yeah, uh, I agree with you on that. My idea, because I, I it, it's based on something that you said. Uh, a little while ago with uh, impact and like, you know, him showing up on impact, but not actually being, you know, signed to impact, man, my fantasy booking. And I mean, they would have to alter plans obviously for both impact and AEW for this to happen. And he would have to, we'd have to hold, have no non-compete, but if there was no non-compete and I'm being a hundred percent fantasy booking, have Samoa Joe show up on fucking impact. Like, Obviously not tonight. So next fucking week, uh, completely choke out Scott Demore until he gives him a title shot. Go in, fucking destroy Rick Swan, and build him now as the Impact Champion that's going to be facing Kenny Omega at the end of this month. And go to that match and actually have it where Samoa Joe's getting the better of Omega and Don Callis calls in, you know the young bucks and the fucking good brothers to come in and beat the shit out of Joe. And Joe brings it to fucking Kenny, uh, with the impact championship on fucking AEW. Like he's coming after him as this crazy baby face, not Austin, but Samoa Joe, but that concept of just fucking taking out members of the elite or the bullet club or whatever the fuck, and just being a thorn in their side. Um, I don't know what the hell you do with him getting the belt off of him in that scenario, or I don't want to see him necessarily pick up the AEW championship, but in a way, why not at the same time? I just think Joe could really, like you said, like he could really do anything. You bring him in as as Taz's new dude, he fucking kicks out, he personally kicks out Brian Cage and takes the fucking fuck the world title from him and then goes on a rampage there. 
Uh, you know, there's 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 a lot of different ways. It's just he's so goddamn talented. He's still young. There's no reason to sideline him. I would definitely put him somewhere immediately, even after as soon as the 90 days are up. Boom. You know, whatever he's doing, he shows up with Moxley and and Eddie Kingston, you know, to go against whoever um, or shit. Have him have a match with Eddie Kingston. I want to see that. Yeah, I think I think all of those are great. And even with 90 days, if the if if we're talking 90 days from now and Kenny Omega has both belts, which is a possibility, maybe Joe is the guy that they bring in to uh, dethrone Moxley or, or Omega. Sorry, Kenny Omega, because that's a very high possibility that Omega will be rolling with two belts at that point, And maybe they bring back the Impact Legend to kind of get control of this damn show. Uh I don't know. A lot of the stuff is very interesting with Samoa Joe. And, and like, like we both said, there's no wrong answer with Samoa Joe, except don't sideline him behind a fucking commentator's desk. <laughs> that's, that's the Jesus. one thing you could, that's the one thing you could do with Samoa Joe that fucking sucks, especially after you had two great feuds with both Brock Lesnar and AJ Styles. And then unfortunately got injured. Like that was your answer is like, we'll make him a commentator. It's just, garbage wwe stuff and and, you know as far as like the concussion protocol he said he was cleared months ago but we saw this with daniel bryan where it took daniel bryan forever to get cleared by wwe's doctor for whatever reason like what did he say he was cleared by like 10 out of 12 doctors or something he had to go get various opinions from other doctors so Samoa joe could have been in the same situation for all we know and i guess we'll find out in 90 days when he's able to talk about this. Well, in 90 days, we'll also find out for the rest of these people. So I'll kind of just to wrap this up. I think Billy Kay and Peyton Royce are very entertaining. Some of their stuff's annoying. Some of it's funny. Uh, but I feel like, you know, since they're friends with a lot of the females in professional wrestling, um, notably Tanelle Dashwood, you know, Paige, uh, I, I feel like, impacts probably would be a great home for them honestly uh i think that they their attitude would do really well with the mix of talent they have on that product since they have one of the best women's brands period and they have tag titles as well so to me that would be kind of the smarter place to go if for me thinking about it tucker i you know i i feel like if if you give that guy him being the heavy for someone like a like a big boss man for jim Cornette. Uh, in a scenario, you know, maybe put him like I could see an impact being a part of Eric Young's uh, gang of misfits uh, or in a tag team with someone like if you want a badass, you know, athletic tag team, put a smaller guy that makes sense with him. Like I, I don't mean to go to impact automatically, but like I'm thinking of people to structure him with um, who is it? Jason, Ale- Jason Alexander was uh, Ethan Page's old collegiate wrestler a badass, you know, I, I feel like you could have a really good tag. That's why I thought that him and Chad Gable would be a great tag team. And then they put Otis with them and turned him heel. Whatever the fuck. Chelsea Green, I think, is going to be someone that AEW could use in the women's division. Uh, the craziness, whatever, I think that she's got qualities that could really help out. Kalisto, go back to AAA. He's a superstar in Mexico. Very much like Lindsay Dorado and especially Grand Matalik. So he'll be fine. Bo Dallas, I don't want to see him give up, man. 
I'd love to see a run at Ring of Honor or a match with Juice Robinson over who gets to keep the face that they both have. Uh, but in all seriousness, I don't want to see Bo <laughs> Dallas completely quit. I'd like to see him do something else. I, I, do, I would think that that's kind of a waste. Mickey James, I, like I said, NWA makes a lot of sense. With NWA comes the option to be able to work with AEW possibly too. So that's two and one. And Wesley Blake, um, you know, uh, I don't know exactly. I'm, I'm sure Ring of Honor could actually do something with him and take his his. He's a good wrestler, man. You know, turn him into something better than he was. Um, any comments on any of those names, Chris? With Tucker, wouldn't it be awesome to see him like put in a tag team with someone like Michael Elgin? Oh, yeah. Like something well, like uh, that would be cool, but... Elgin's got some skeletons in his closet. That's why he got released from Impact. But I, I agree where you're trying to go there. Um, well, he, he was just working in Japan not that long ago, though, right? So, I don't know. Maybe he could do something there. or I mean, there, I'm sure you can find someone for Tucker to be a tag partner with. Um, or like you said, like an enforcer of some sort. Because the guy is really good in the ring. He was the better in the ring of that tag team. For sure. Uh, and I like Otis. Otis is obviously the better overall performer, I guess. But Tucker was the better wrestler out of the two. So just find a guy. Um, with Peyton Royce and Billy Kay, I could see them going to NWA as well because they have to fill out that roster. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they don't necessarily have to be a tag team. You could even go, like, do a singles run like they kind of did in NXT. Like, they were together, but they weren't a tag team. You know what I mean? And they helped each other in each other's matches, and you could you could do that. And the, and the wackiness of, of Billy Kay kind of fits in with some of the stuff NWA does. Uh, everyone else you na- named, I think I, I kind of tend to agree with you as far as landing spots go. And like you said, like with Mickey James, I think that's like kind of the obvious answer because her husband's the NWA chair was the with the longest reigning NWA champion as far as the Billy Corgan years go. And he's still there. Is he still he's there currently their champion? He didn't lose that pay-per-view, right? Yeah, he's still a champ. OK, yeah, because he just went against. Um, God, why can't I think of his name? I'm it's, blanking, too. Damian um, Sandow, but I, that's yes. not his. That's not his actual current name. Uh, but yeah, I know he just had that match, and I didn't. I ha- unfortunately I haven't gotten to see it yet. So, but I, I think yeah, he retained. So like it makes sense to bring Mickey James in there. I mean they they lost a lot of talent. I guess they're not officially signed to AEW, but I don't really see Serena Deebs and Thunder Rosa spending a lot of time in NWA. So bringing in some fresh faces there like Mickey James and. Peyton Royce and Billy Kay, people who have experience in, in the ring, and especially like working the cameras and stuff, won't be bad for NWA. I think that's a that's a good choice for them. Or like you said, they could show up an impact in the tag division if, if they wanted to do some form of the Iconics. That wouldn't necessarily be the worst idea either. Yeah, I, I think the two people that, if you're talking about AEW, because that's going to be a point of conversation that I see the most of could be out of the, that list of people is Samoa Joe and Chelsea Green with an asterisk with Mickey James because even if she goes to NWA, I could see her working over there. And actually, since Mac Cardona is a part of Impact, Chelsea made her, you know, became a star over there. I could see maybe that, but also wanting maybe to work with AEW in the future. There's a lot of stuff that any of these wrestlers, uh, they have options. And the way that wrestling is outside of WWE, it seems like a lot of people are sharing and 
people are getting to do a lot of stuff within their career that they kind of want to do. Um, sometimes good, sometimes a detriment when you're letting people do indie shows during a pandemic. Uh, <laughs> but for the most part, I, I think it will be good. By the way, it was Josh Alexander, not Jason Alexander. Jason Alexander's from Seinfeld. That would be weird if he was in a tag team with Tucker. So any closing <laughs> thoughts? Chris? Um, just that, you know, New Japan Strong is still out there as well. So maybe Joe could do something there and they could bring guys in to try to elevate that, even if it was Suzuki. a short run. Yeah, there. there you go. So I, they're they're one we don't talk about a lot, but they are still out there. And uh, you could have, you know, Joe go in and, and go against Juice Robinson or you could bring Minoru Suzuki over and that would probably elevate that show quite a bit. Before you sign a long term deal with Joe, because I'm assuming that he will. I just have a feeling he will end up on impact even if he works for AEW because those two are in such cahoots that I don't think it matters what label he signed under. It's going to be the same amount of money either way. It just depends on what company is paying it, I guess. Yep. All right. Well, uh, let's move on. Uh, Very unfortunate stuff, but I think that in a lot of ways, a lot of these guys are going to find better options outside the WWE and we'll continue to wait and maybe on our next show we'll have a list of other names I have no fucking clue and I'll, I'll check Facebook and Twitter actually before the end of the show to find out if there's any other updates um, but let's move on so a big thing that happened Sunday night obviously after Wrestlemania was the Broken Skull session uh, featuring Chris Jericho an interview with Steve Austin and um Loved it. It was two hours. I watched it in two parts. And, uh, you know, a lot of the information I kind of knew because Chris, if you listen consistently on his podcast, I've heard him in interviews. He tells a lot of these stories. But the the biggest thing was the, you know, I'll just I'll say it. The fact that there was a lot of AEW stuff on there. The fact that I heard names that I know outside of WWE, like a Kenny Omega, like an Orange Cassidy, like, you know, Cody, the Young Bucks, Okada, Tetsuya Naito, these names on this program, it was really weird. And I love that. That's for the audience that might not know. And Chris, I mean, right at the beginning, he kind of said that, you know, to the non uh, fans of these guys, the ones that aren't huge wrestling fans, like a lot of people don't know who the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega is on a more huge television-styled uh, program. And admitting that, I mean, because it is true, he was one of the bigger names, a part of this. And, um, you know, I, I just liked the fact that he was able to talk about AEW, the fact that he was, you know, still kind of pleasantly surprised that he was able to even come on there in the first place, um, joking that there might be snipers off and that he's waiting to get basically shot. But I think it benefits. And we were wondering what the benefit was, at least for Tony Khan. And Chris Jericho said uh, on Busted Open, ref- in reference to the interview, there was exposure for their product, uh, the fact that they were able to talk, and he wouldn't have done the interview if they weren't able to talk about his whole entire career. Um, you know, uh the benefit was that they were going unopposed the next week afterwards with no NXT and might be able to find some new viewerships and point that into that direction. And obviously WWE had Chris Jericho back on a platform 
which seemed unheard of for WWE fans. So it seems like it, it benefited both uh, companies. I love the interview. Uh, it was just it was just nice to see that. And I love that Steve's like, oh, yeah, I know. I know who Okada is. Oh, yeah, I know who Kenny Omega is like basically Jericho is explaining if you don't know who these people are, this is a list of names you should fucking know in wrestling, basically. And uh, it was nice hearing about the New Japan stuff. I already heard that that story about the brownie with him and Vince, but you know it it was a uh, it was a fun interview, and um, apparently they, they got really drunk afterwards because Chris had Austin on his show, so basically when the cameras went off, they just got hammered, and he hadn't been that drunk in a long time. So um, definitely sh- listen to the follow up interview that Jericho does with uh, with Steve on his show, uh, which was really good. But uh, I love the episode, Chris. Uh, it was nice to see everyone playing along and playing nice. It was a nice turn of events because I expected this thing to be edited to hell with maybe like two minute mention of AEW, and that's not the case. They talked a good bit about AEW in New Japan, and uh, it's real fun to watch Stone Cold Steve Austin's eyes light up when Okada gets mentioned. <laughs> Like, maybe Austin wishes he could have had a match with Okada. That was great. Like, some of the stuff he was talking about, like, all the people hey, he, that he named. The Paymaker, you mean, you mean like, like the, you did it because of Rainmaker, Okada, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, Stone Cold's on top of his shit. Um, <laughs> it was just really great and refreshing to see. And, and like you said, if you're a fan of Jericho, um, You've heard a lot of these stories before. If you've read either of his books, a lot of the same stuff is there. I do look forward that they promoted his book about him writing down every match he's had and what the finish was and what the workout was and what the pay was and all that stuff. I actually look forward to that book as like just a statistician fan because I think that could be very, very interesting to read through, like who stiffed Jericho and who didn't stiff Jericho um, <laughs> over the years, and what matches he had with uh, Ultimo Dragon in Japan. Like A lot of that stuff sounds completely awesome to me, so I, I look forward to that. That was one of the more interesting things I took from that podcast, is that book is coming out. But it was crazy seeing the AEW title on the Peacock. I almost called the WWE Network. Well, for some fans, I guess it was the WWE Network, depending on where you live. But... um. Yeah, it was crazy, and I think it worked out for Peacock because if you're a Jericho fan, maybe you even signed up for a free subscription just to watch this, whether you cared about WrestleMania or not, which I don't think there's that many fans that... But they gave you an extra reason to sign up for WrestleMania weekend, right? So I think it helped. Like you said, I think it helped both companies. The only thing I would have done differently is that maybe AEW could have wrote something in where they had to promote Jericho being with Mike Tyson on this Wednesday show at the end of the interview is that, you know, it kind of just went under the radar a little bit. Uh, outside of that, I mean, it was a great interview between him and Stone Cold. I need to go listen to the Jericho uh, sidebar podcast. I haven't, I haven't listened to that yet, but that sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, Austin's really great at these, especially if they let Austin be Austin and talk about things he wants to talk about. I just remember when they originally started doing this with people like Brock Lesnar and, and Triple H and, and maybe even Vince, they weren't what they are now. Like the ones that he's had with Undertaker and Orton and, and uh, I guess Sasha and Bailey have been a lot better than the original idea of what the show is. So this feels more like yep. the Austin podcast. Yep. And I, I completely agree with you. They're not, they're not cleansed and, and made to look all nice and, and, and pretty and, and whatnot. It's just much more truthful and, you know, maybe maybe they did that at the beginning, uh, 
just start talking about AEW right off the bat because there's no way to edit that out because you would have to restruct the beginning. But I, 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 I believe Chris Jericho when he said on Busted Open when uh, Dave and Bully were talking to him that no, he wasn't he wasn't going to do it if he wasn't allowed to talk about his whole career. He doesn't want to flash AEW as you know like he's a commercial for it, but that's a part of his fucking career, and he will talk about New Japan and he will talk talk about AEW. Uh, or he won't do the damn interview, and I, I commend Chris for doing that, man. Uh, you know, I, I hope that maybe some of this might have mended his relationship a little bit with Vince. But when it comes down to it, we we talked about it, but I don't blame Chris for fucking getting fed up at the end, especially with that KO thing. That was one of the most entertaining things in the last couple of years was the build up of their relationship. Um, in the modern time that I've been watching it, and to have the payoff that we did, it fucking sucked. And I was pissed that they just made it about Goldberg and Brock with the title that they didn't even need the title for. So, you know, is what it is, brother. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, maybe Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho will will meet down the road at some point, as they say. Uh, but I, I, I love this. Um, specifically, Jericho listing out, like, writing down the end of the match at Dick's Sporting Goods. Some of those stories are just great, even if you've heard them before. Oh, yeah. The Shawn Michaels match. There's a lot of good content here. If you're a wrestling fan, especially if you're a Jericho fan, um, it's worth watching. Also, Austin laughing about the damn Dean Malenko <laughs> list Jericho had. It's pretty great. That shit's so funny. Or him getting lost in the back. You, you know, you forget how he definitely still was funny in WWE once he showed up uh, against the rock and everything after that. But I don't know. In WCW, he was just, God, this pest motherfucker, but it was so hilarious. Some of the things he did, the list and, and pulling the, uh, just getting lost in the back. Like I said, like, um, God, I can't remember the name of the damn movie. Spinal Spinal tap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just great stuff, man. And just watching him and Austin go back and forth. Like, I like, and Bully Ray kind of called out Jericho on one of it. There was two incidents where where Steve said something. He's like, he's like, yeah, you started, you started in '89. Uh, I, I started in '90. I was the uh, the the PWI, uh, what the hell was it, Rookie of the Year. And like Chris Jericho was like, good for you. And just kept on talking. <laughs> like, you know, they have that type of relationship where they bust each other's balls and. Uh, there's also some footage if you guys did watch it that's out there. It's it's like a mi- it's it's a couple minutes long. It's like four minutes long of Jericho and Austin watching some footage of like when they used to end the shows a lot of times and just try to go out there, you know, and just cut stuff back and forth and just improv it and make the make the folks go home happy basically. Uh, one in particular where Jericho sold uh like you know. Austin went to throw him a beer and he fucking didn't catch it and it was an accident, but then he just sold it like he was so angry. So Austin goes to throw him another beer and he fucking completely drops that and Austin's looking at him like, I'm going to kill you, like the character. And they just go from there and a lot of funny shit. So just definitely recommend watching it and then checking out some of the extra clips that weren't televised. Uh, fun episode overall. Yeah, I wonder how long that actually went because they did segment it and cut cut some of it down. But like I said, I'll give them credit because they started with AEW and they ended with AEW, so they must have had that written in there somewhere. 
really fun interview. Don't want to, I don't want to spend too much more time on it, but there's so much good shit in there. And uh, the only thing that, the only thing I miss is, you remember the old roundtables? I've talked about this so much with like Michael P.S. Hayes yep. and, and Jerry, uh, Jerry the King Lawler sometimes and Jim Ross and Pat Patterson. They, it seems like they need to get Sean, Triple H, like the next Chris generation. Jericho, and like a few of those guys to sit down and do one of that and talk about other things in wrestling. Maybe even past their time things in wrestling that we consider classic now. Like the ruthless aggression error, but with those guys talking about it, because I, I would find that very, very entertaining. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I miss I've watched all of those actually a couple times with Mean Gene and Jim Ross and, and Michael P.S. Hayes. And sometimes they had Piper on they had Nick Bockwinkle on, you know, just an array of great talents and breaking down someone like a Terry Funk or a Piper or going into different territory things and. You learn a lot of information. If you did a modernized version of that, that would be pretty fucking awesome. That would be pretty damn cool. And let me just, last thing, Broken Skull Sessions. Please get the fucking rock on there. Can we get Austin and friggin' Dwayne Johnson? Jesus. I hope they book it really hard, and then Austin just hits him with a stunner, and that's the entire episode. Dumb bitch. You might have beat me once. What? But it was out of three. What? All right, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> real quick, uh, this is kind of a big deal. Before we go into WrestleMania, I just kind of wanted to run the numbers. So uh, NXT, AEW, first week unopposed. Um, did they cut into each other's ratings? And the answer is, fuck yes, they did. Uh, NXT was up. This was the biggest show they've had since I believe Halloween Havoc. At eight or eight oh five thousand viewers, um, everything was up. Uh, their last one drew, which beat AEW, whatever, seven uh, sixty eight thousand viewers of last week. So they were definitely up from that, and up since October. Um, and AEW broke a fucking million. This was the highest that they've ever had since their first episode. Uh, one. 219 million people watched it so thank god this all this stupid shit's over i don't have to watch two fucking wrestling shows at once and obviously they were burning each other's viewers and i hope that both shows stay around this i hope nxt hits a million i hope fucking AEW continues to climb and i will say even with mike tyson on the show and advertise i didn't think this this last week on AEW was that great so if they can do that on this type of episode, hopefully when they have a really damn good show, they can do even better. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy about this, Chris. Yeah, me too. I'm happy that both of them did better on separate nights, which everyone said they would uh, <laughs> pretty much across all of podcasting. So I'm glad that that worked out. Uh, Tyson, I'm sure he gave a little bump, but uh, I think it had more to do with the tag match with the Pat, the you know, the bastard pack and, and um, Ray Phoenix versus the young bucks, uh, which was a great match. There was good stuff on that show, Dane. We'll talk more about that on our next podcast, but uh, I actually liked that show. I thought that was a really good AEW show, especially in comparison, like the last three or four weeks of AEW shows. Stuff. I love stuff. I kind of shook my head on. It's one of those mixed bags, but yeah, Uh, update. uh, They released another person. Uh, Mojo Riley has been released, so 
I guess maybe he can get hired back if they try to fucking get Gronk to come back. That might be in his uh, clause. But all joking aside, I know Mojo really does love wrestling, and I mean, he's fine. He's got a lot of energy, and I, that's someone I could see uh, being uh, a good asset over at Impact, especially based on his humor that we've seen in the past with how they do things a lot of times. Uh, but yeah, that's another wrestler that we can add to the list, Chris. Yeah, I've never been a huge fan of Mojo outside of when he was tagging with Zack Ryder. But if they want to do something with him and Matt Cardona tagging somewhere, that that could be fun, I guess. I'm I'm just I've never been a huge fan of his. He's energetic. He's entertaining. He just isn't that good in the ring. And as an in-ring wrestler, he's kind of pretty boring, I guess. So I don't know. Well wishes for him, though. I hope he lands somewhere. Impact would be a good landing spot because he could be a good big mid-card dude for that company. And like you said, maybe he can back up Matt against uh, Brian Myers since they've been feuding lately. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, which, by the way, that's fucking ridiculous when you guys do like 75 YouTube shows and podcasts together to be feuding. But that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> it's like uh, if me and you started feuding. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. Um, all right. So let's talk about WrestleMania, man. Um, I'll just pass to you. Overall thoughts on the two nights. I will say I think I like the first night better than the second night for obvious reasons we'll get into. And there are some awesome matches and some stuff that, well, we'll get into the first match of the second night when we get there. But um, your overall thoughts on WrestleMania 37 at Tampa in the fucking Tampa Dome or whatever the hell they call it. 25,000 Hulkamaniacs going wild uh, unless Hulk Hogan came out and then they booed. And uh, there was a rain delay. But we'll get into all that. What would you think? I thought night one was awesome. I had a lot of fun watching night one. I watched it at my friend's house with his toddler. And the excitement that that kid had for Cesaro was over 9,000. It made me love that match probably more than anything else on WrestleMania. So that's just a weird, you had to be there kind of thing. But night one just, I don't know, every match on night one I thought was pretty good, regardless of the build going into it. It just felt like a really good night. It was good seeing the crowd there. Night two, uh, maybe don't start with the fucking Fiend match. I think it drugged the entire next three matches down. The cra- It immediately killed the crowd. And uh, they gave us some good matches, though. We did get Kevin Owens giving one of the Paul brothers a stunner, which was fun. I think the crowd really popped for that. And uh, obviously the main event was was great. And, and as we get into this, I'll talk about the things I liked about night one because I there's a lot of shit I liked about night one specifically. But night two, for what it was, it was fine. Uh, it was better than a lot of WrestleMania last year because I think people forget how fucking awkward WrestleMania was last year. It's easy to not look at that, I guess. Yeah, give him a pass or something. Um, but yeah, I, I'll agree. And and it started out, I loved it with Vince, um, you know, and all the wrestlers out there and him, you know, WrestleMania doing that whole thing and kind of saying like the big thing missing was you people and you get to see this. And then after that, we find out that they had to get everyone to go back underneath because they were having some lightning and there was lots of rain and whatnot. So we had a rain delay for like the first 40 minutes of WrestleMania. But, I mean, it's I didn't really get mad because this has never happened. It's a freak thing. They're in Florida, so you would expect this to happen in wrestling since they've had 
outdoor stuff in Louisiana and Florida as of recently, but I would never think that, a tr- you know, a rain delay, but this happens in sports all the time tonight. They handled it really well, man. You, you got to see in this 40 minutes going by another sad thing is that the last time we'll see Samoa Joe and his WWE career will be in a poncho with rain pouring all over him and Michael Cole, whatever. Um, but you got to see. I mean, to, to to some extent, it sums up the last like year of his career. So it's not not that. Yeah, crazy. that's a good point. But um, you you get to see who's who can handle uh, you know, some some promos around the spot, and it kind of reminded me of back in the uh the late '80s, early '90s with the golden era generation of having these promos with Mean Gene, and you would just go to them, and I'm sure a lot of those were edited because they could pre-record them, but. It almost gave you that vibe. I thought some people did really well, like MVP and Drew McIntyre. Um, some people didn't. Kevin Owens stood out the most, just grabbing a mic and being like, let me fucking talk. Bye. And just cutting a great promo. Seth Rollins, I don't know if <laughs> – Jim Cornette was talking about it, and he's like, what the hell was Seth Rollins doing? Like, I like this attitude. I'm glad he's not doing the Monday Night Messiah but, like, is he trying to pretend to be Jimmy Garvin doing a fucking interview back in the day? And, like, part <laughs> of me goes, I feel like he's being, like, early not or early 2000 Chris Jericho almost. Like, that same, like, or trying to, but he was fine. But it was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm Seth Rollins. And um, I liked it. It was actually really interesting. And Bully Ray said it. What's going to save a 40-minute rain delay at WrestleMania? When Murphy's Law is 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 destroying you, the first time you've had a big event um, live in front of people, and this happens, promos. That's what's gonna save them. And uh, it was like a blessing in disguise, Chris, for some people. Yeah, it's also unfortunate because then you realize if you let some of these people go off the cuff with just a little bit of liner note instead of very scripted promos, it turns out that they're very interesting. And you might care more about their characters. That's probably part of the problem and the awkwardness of Seth Rollins' promo is that he doesn't know what character he is right now, (laughs) to be fair to to Seth. Um, But, yeah, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of cool, and uh, I wasn't super excited about the rain delay, but what what are you going to do? I'm never super excited about a rain delay in any sport, like you said. Uh, That's just – it is what it is, but – um, man, props on that crew getting every all that electrical and all those pyros and everything set back up in 40 minutes after it stopped raining to put on a really good show for night one uh, was absolutely nuts, man. Byron Saxton making a joke about it on night two about how his microphone stopped working because of the rain was pretty good. And <laughs> Corey Graves being like, good, it should never work was also pretty good. Um it was crazy, and like the first thing I posted when they said there was a rain delay, I was like, first year without Taker, you see what happens? Lightning, lightning <laughs> flies from the sky, uh, which is immediately what I thought. I was like, see what happens when Taker's not on Mania, you guys? But no, all around, I think that the a lot of props should be given to that production crew and how much it takes to put on something like WrestleMania and the fact that they got all of that shit together so quickly and – um Man, uh, even on the bump, Bianca Belair talked about that. She like gave a shout out and thanks to um, 
to the crew. And then Molly, uh, Molly Holly, even on the hall of fame, which we didn't talk too much about. She, I love that she gave a shout out to all of the production crew and stuff. So shout out to the production crew of WWE for getting that entire big ass show up and running in 40 minutes. And meanwhile, like if it rains at a NASCAR race, I have to wait like two hours. Uh, <laughs> just saying, uh, I, I thought, the, I thought the promos were great. They were a good added addition. And, and like Bully Ray said, what are you going to do? Well, give Kevin Owens a mic, I guess. See what happens. You know, and, and I think, God, him and, and Drew McIntyre, you talk about being able to get intensity out with just an off-the-cuff promo. Obviously, Kevin went into a different level. I feel like Drew is about to be like, I'm going to rip your fucking face off and then piss in your fucking hole. Like, he got a little bit too intense. It was like, calm down. You're you're scaring the fucking interviewer. But Kevin Owens, man, killed it. I mean, you know, Jim Cornette can, can bitch about the times that they had, but he gave Kevin full props on his promo and him and Sammy on their fucking match because, I mean, Kevin is one of the best guys on the mic period today. And a lot of people forget that, and you shouldn't. Yeah, I, I think it's because they ask him to do dumb shit and put him in dumb programs. But, like, I mean, that just goes back to him and R- Ring of Honor to some extent. Like, some of these guys, they have that experience, and they're able to do that. Drew McIntyre, I thought, was great, like you said, on the mic. Maybe a little too intense, but he was also the opening match that was rain-delayed for 40 minutes. And he's about to go out there <laughs> and lose to Bobby Lashley lose. Clean, clean in the ring <laughs> via submission. Well- so I could understand his uh, promo maybe being a little over the top. It was so great when he came out, though, like what we're about to get into. And he's basically crying because, like, this match has been delayed 40 minutes. And he's just so excited to have this big WrestleMania match. And that dastardly Bobby Lashley was having none of his bullshit. And let's talk about it. First match up. We kind of figured this. It was announced. I mean, it was kind of obvious it was going to be like this. And I think that me and you like speculated it would be like this, but it was announced during the pre-show that Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks were going to be the main event. They're going to go on last. So obviously they're going to put on the, the heavyweight title match. First, I said, I feel like WWE when it came to the matches and those pops, obviously Vince got the first pop and well, we forgot to talk about something. We'll just talk. We'll wrap this up into one. Titus was beloved by everyone visiting and living in Tampa. That was at that show. And every time you heard Hulk Hogan's music, boo! They even tried to put in, Chris, fake crowd noise to kind of, like, push down the booing. And, my God, some of the content that went back and forward, um, what was the one where he was going to call someone a scallywag? And then Titus O'Neil was like, hey, Hulkster, you can't say stuff like that. You can't call people a scallywag. Like, my God, just... If I was if I was the fucking Hulkster after all that, I would have gone and climbed underneath a pillow and just cried because that was that was pretty fucking obvious. And big ups on Tyus O'Neill to gain the reaction uh, that he honestly deserves for being very, very good to that city, his hometown of Tampa Bay, which I'm not saying that Hogan isn't either. But given his past, you know, he's got a lot of penance to make up for, man. Sorry. Do you think it happens if they had Shawn Michaels instead? No. Shawn comes out with them. Everyone's loving it. 
Yeah, that's, so why not pick one of your other legends that you have? The I, multitude. <laughs> it's because Hogan's from Tampa, you know. I mean, I get that to an extent, but he did host last – or not last year, but the year before that and didn't have a good reaction then. I don't know why the fuck they thought it was going to be good this year either. Well, I mean, I, yeah. So maybe they'll have Sean host next year because it's in Dallas and he's from San Antonio or something. I, just, I don't know. It just seems like you could have picked maybe someone else. Smarter, yeah. Probably. Um, but the the reaction I was not surprised about, that's what you're going to get with Hogan. There's going to be a mixed reaction, man. It's not the 60-year-olds that really, really loved Hogan probably aren't watching the main product right now anymore. Um, at least not with the same amount of love that they used to have for Hogan. Like, I don't know what you expect from a WrestleMania crowd that hasn't seen an event in years and years that are your diehard wrestling fans and then you throw Hogan with Titus O'Neil. I think it's cool Titus O'Neil agreed to do it and seemed really chill about it. Um, but you know, or Bailey. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a different. That's a what different a year! What a year that she had holding it down as one of those people, along with MVP and a lot of other people that shined during the pandemic thing. And what do they give her? No fucking match and a couple segments with Hogan and Titus. Well, I th- they did the same thing to the New Day. Not that long ago. Yeah, that's true. You know, they had this big tag team match with the Hardys returning, and guess who was hosting the show? The fucking New Day. <laughs> like. That is true. Uh, so I guess, I mean, I guess it just depends on how you look at it, but people definitely were not behind Hogan. And as far as them uh, editing out booze, we'll get to that on night two, because this Bray Wyatt thing, ooh, that crowd did not like that. Nope. But yeah, so let's get to the match. So, like I said, Drew was the first wrestler opening. Definitely got a good reaction from fans, I think. Bobby Lashley was booed. It was a perfect setup. I did not see Bobby Lashley winning. I wanted him to because I thought that Drew, regardless of the everything, I thought that people did like him because I liked him. And it seemed like the community, even though we didn't have live representation of, of seeing audiences react to him, he was, you know, elevated to a good level. And... I thought Bobby Lashley was doing really well, and I didn't want to see him cut short. Um, and I, I thought they were going to, especially since they broke up the the, the Hurt, um, wow, uh, the Hurt Foundation. What the fuck is it? The Hurt? <laughs> the, the Hurt, hurt Business. Locker? The Hurt. I like the Hurt Foundation better than the Hurt Business. The though. Hurt Foundation. <laughs> it sounds like Brett saying it. The Hurt Foundation over in Canada. Um yeah, but just, uh, you know, break, breaking them up as the tag team, I, I didn't see us happening. I thought the match was good. Uh, I like that triple DDT spot that Drew was, like, just trying so hard to do something to Lashley. The distraction spot was kind of dumb. It didn't really work because MVP was calling out to Lashley, and then for some reason Drew McIntyre, it's WrestleMania, and you're going to get distracted by that by a coach basically giving instruction he wasn't even he didn't even say because i've seen this match twice he didn't say drew or he was just talking to bobby who was getting his ass kicked at the time because he was about to do the claymore to him so that was weird people like you know and i love mick foley and i i I really like jim Cornette. people that don't watch the show consistently that are bitching about or or making comments about the full nelson Bobby's been putting people out with it for fucking months now. That's been his finisher. So if you're not a consistent viewer, I expect you not to know that, but that didn't bother me as much. 
The match wasn't anything special. I kind of expected it to be this level, but I didn't think it was anything glaring and, and, and bad. I, I think they picked the right match, though, to go for the main event. But this is a good opener. What did you think? So the distraction spot was only it was only shitty because Michael Cole's commentary was shitty. Otherwise, it wasn't a distraction spot. But Michael Cole being like, oh, he got distracted. You're like, why? Like, why was that necessary in a match that was very even? He didn't really get distracted. MVP doesn't have to get involved. He's being like the Paul Heyman for Bobby Lashley right now. I don't he doesn't have to get involved in these matches. It's the whole point of breaking up the hurt business. So he doesn't get involved. And I think, did I predict, I think I predicted Lashley. Because for some reason, for some reason, I just thought in my head, I was like, Vince wants to see what the theoretical pop is for Drew McIntyre before he puts the title on him. Because he's never really seen it outside of Rumble. And uh, they kind of booked Drew McIntyre in weird situations where he's losing Randy and then beating Randy. And there's mixed reactions to that kind of thing. And they did exactly what I thought they were going to do. I didn't expect him to submit Drew clean in the ring. I will say that. Um, As far as people bitching about the full Nelson, isn't the full Nelson like banned in amateur wrestling as a hold? I'm not sure, but I could see why. (laughs) So uh, lots of people have used that move over time. Uh, Chris Masters, the master lock, it's basically the same thing. Like, I don't know. What what do they want him to do? They want Lashley to break his arm, put him in a Kimura or something? I guess get him in a spear. I mean, but he hasn't used a spear really as a finisher lately. He's been doing the full Nelson. Well, yeah, because there's like five dudes on the roster right now that use the spear. Like, I listen to a lot of guys, including Jim Cornette, that review stuff, but they don't watch stuff on a weekly basis, so they don't know the information that they get aggravated about that wasn't explained to them in the match. It doesn't make a lot of fucking sense, honestly. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, lots of people have submitted to the full Nelson over the years, and if Bobby Lashley's the only guy doing it, then that means he is the master of the full Nelson. That go, that goes into, like, what moves are finishers and what moves aren't finishers, and, like, kind of Jake the Snake, he's like, well, I guess that means I have the best DDT of all time, right? When people use the DDT for not a finisher. Well, I mean, like, look, if Bobby Lashley is making people pass out with it, then I guess that means he has the best full Nelson of all time. I I feel like Bobby Lashley could be someone that could fucking make you pass out or at least make you submit with a fucking full Nelson on him. He's a monster. He looks like a fucking action figure. Yeah, I I get they tried to do the Stone Cold thing where Drew didn't actually tap, but they could have just had Drew tap. You know, that probably would have not chapped people as much. Um, or the ref could have stopped the match or whatever. And if they wanted to do that, you should have just, Drew should have got color and then did the Austin Brett finish. They could have done that as well. So there's other ways to get around it, but that did not deter the match for me at all. I thought this was a great opening match. It was cool seeing Bobby win. Bobby has been great recently. Mm -hmm. And as you know, he's not one of my favorite wrestlers, but when they put him in the mat in a match with the right person, specifically Drew McIntyre, because all the matches they've had together have been really good. Um, he can go out and have that big match and be really good. And I don't know if it's like MVP is like low key training him <laughs> or something, but his stuff has been a lot better for the past six months. Yeah, no, I agree. Let me ask you now, uh, if Brock Lesnar were to come back, would you want scenario a 
um, where Paul Heyman brings back Brock to be what he hopes to be the champion of Raw against Bobby Lashley building up to, say, a SummerSlam. Or Brock shows up like, what the fuck, Paul, on SmackDown and wants to take out Roman Reigns to go against him. Why not both? Why can't Paul uh, represent two people on different brands? And then maybe they meet in the middle. There you go. Hey, I like that idea, too. All right. Um, let's get to the next match. Pretty sure this was the uh, the clusterfuck. <laughs> um, yeah, the tag team turmoil match. Uh, so the basically the winner of this match would... Uh, and it was it was like a timed version of a gauntlet match, so it was like an interesting way of doing it, I guess. But the winner of this would go to night two to go against Nia and Shayna for the women's tag titles. We first had Lana and Naomi, uh, then we had Billy Kay and Carmella come out. Uh, they were eliminated by, um, or I should say, Lana and Naomi, which a lot, like me included, thought that Lana would have a chance. Nope. First one's out. Then Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose came out. And then the Riot Squad came out. Riot Squad looked really good. I got to say, for an actual tag team and working together, Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot kind of brought it. And I was kind of hoping towards the end that they might be in consideration. But I like the women who won. And they were, I think, one of the ones I suggested winning. So then we had the last one, Italian Tamina. Riot Squad both eliminated uh, Dana Brooke and Mandy and Billy Kay and Carmella. And then uh, it was down to the right squad, Italian Tamina. And Italian Tamina ended up winning, so they would go on uh, for night two to go against Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. This match, like I said, uh, right squad was great, and I thought that Italian Tamina, I liked, I especially liked for Tamina the reaction she got from the audience. So I was really happy with that. Other than that, it was a lot of fucking... Miss spots. Lana went to kick someone and was like four feet away from their fucking head. Um, she wasn't having a good night, man. Uh, and we had we had uh, one slip, I'll just say, from Mandy Rose and two nip slips throughout the whole entire damn thing. Uh, felt bad for the ladies in those scenarios. Um, with Mandy, my like, I'm glad they kind of turned it into something. It's weird where they're going with Naya with them, but uh, that's gotta suck. It was fucking raining. Shit happens, but it was like stuff like that kept on happening throughout the match. And then the announcer said that the riot squad got eliminated when they didn't, and then corrected himself. It was kind of a fucking mess, man. Uh, this was probably uh, no, this is easily the worst thing on the first night, and everything else. Well, we'll get to the steel cage match, but most of the other stuff was pretty good, I would say. Yeah, the slip I didn't have as much problem with because I remembered that I sat through a 40-minute rain delay, and it's possible they didn't drive the entire ramp. <laughs> because it's not like Drew McIntyre and uh, Lashley are strutting down the ramp like, uh, you know, like a Mandy Rhodes. Or, what did I call it? Mandy Rhodes? No, Mandy Rose. Sorry. Yeah, baby, um, this is Mandy Rhodes. <laughs> that'd be such a better gimmick. Um, <laughs> no, kidding. But... The match itself, like you said, the, that's the thing about the Riot Squad. Every time they put them in one of these matches, they stand out, but they don't do anything with them. Um, nope. I liked the Tamina splash. It, it did get a big pop. I think that was kind of a cool moment. And, um, you know, I had no problem with Natty and Tamina winning just because I knew they weren't getting the title. 
my prediction on this was completely off because I thought there was going to be a surprise tag team, big WrestleMania moment. It's Bailey and Charlotte. Yep. And uh, I was completely off. And when we talk about Monday Night Raw on the next podcast, we'll we'll talk about Charlotte Flair. And uh, unfortunately for Bailey, um, man, maybe maybe you could have wished that they had that <laughs> that surprise tag team match. Yep, I agree. Um. All right, so after that, we had, I would say, and I'm looking over this, I don't know, the last match, this might have been the best, like, worker match, although the last match might have had more, like, emotion in it, and it was still a really great worked match. Cesaro and Seth Rollins are on a fucking other level, and I was so happy. This whole entire WrestleMania, it was nice to see not only people that have been denied being at a certain level. It kind of completely uh, is against what just happened because you saw a lot of people winning matches that you would not normally think that they would win because, like, let's go over the winners. Bobby Lashley, even though he had a great body for the longest time, probably never going to be the champion. Like, Natalia is definitely one stuff, but Tamina, never. Cesaro, which we're about to talk about. The fact that Amos got uh, a chance to shine. Uh, I'm not going to even talk about Braun and uh, Shane McMahon, Damian Priest, Bianca Belair. Like you, you wouldn't think a lot of these people would, would win and they did. And it was also a lot of great representation of, you know, Hispanic wrestlers, Asian wrestlers, African-American wrestlers, um, especially night one. And that's awesome. So intentional, non-intentional for publicity, non I'm glad it happened regardless. But uh, Cesaro and Seth Rollins had an awesome match. And uh, I really liked, I loved the ending. I, I thought it was great that, so he wanted to break his swing record, if you will. And he's selling his hurt arm the whole entire time. He couldn't even get him up at, at one point. And finally, he does an airplane spin and does it. I forgot what the hell the name of it was. But like the ghost air, airplane spin where he's not even using his hands. He's going so fast with them that he's holding him and pivoting on his shoulders and his fucking the back of his head. Like, just crazy. Then spins him 24 times, beats the last time, and puts him in his finisher, the neutralizer, and he's done. And Seth was great in the match. He ping-ponged. You know he's good friends with Cesaro. He probably was really happy to give him this moment. And uh, does it really hurt Seth? Seth's in a building process right now regardless, but he's still pretty big name in the company and i was happy that cesaro got a wrestlemania moment i really was hopefully he's not one of the names released next year when we get to this fucking show <laughs> i don't think so didn't they just they re-signed him for like three years things so are can, made to be broken I, I guess i guess so i guess all those i can do what i want <laughs> um yeah, no, man. This was my favorite match of both nights. I had a lot of fun, especially watching it with, uh, like I said, with the toddler who really loved the uh, swing, the Cesaro swing, in-ring work between Cesaro and Seth Rollins. I mean, Tyler Black and Claudio is going to be fucking great, and they gave me exactly what I expected out of that match, and it was a fucking really, really fun watch and a great way to be the middle of the show. Um, as bad as that sounds, because I do think it was the best thing on the show. They went out and stole the show to me. And look, the main event is fine. It, to me, it's not as good as some other people kind of touted it as being. 
but it, it was a good match. But this match to me stole the entire WrestleMania weekend. All right. The next match we have was for the Raw Tag Team Championship. AJ Styles and Almas going against the New Day. I uh, love seeing the reunion of the three of them with Big E and Big E kind of, you know, prompting them to the ring. Uh, New Day was now heels. <laughs> Switched for this. Um, you know, we kind of went over babyface and heels and, and the origin of that concept when it came to television. Um, you would have the babyface facing the camera over in, in the, the upper left corner. Uh, so you can see their faces. They're the baby faces. They're the good guys. Bad guys, you don't. You see their heels. The heels are their boots. So they're in the opposite right-hand corner. Um, and that's how they they had a new day. AJ Styles is basically Ricky Morton the whole entire fucking time, getting his ass kicked. And finally, we got Omos in. And for a big guy, you know, we didn't see a lot of him. But I will give him this, that his presence was really good, especially under the circumstance. This is this guy's first fucking real match. And even though he didn't do a whole hell of a lot, it's in front of 25,000 people. He's been in a friggin' performance center the whole entire time before this and random ass roles. He had a lot of confidence, good facial expressions. So I don't know if he's as good as a great colleague or has potential to be the next big show when it comes to a big man. But, you know, I thought it was a good showing of him. And uh, when he got tagged in, it was over for uh, Kofi and Xavier. And I love the elevated, um, which, uh, what the hell is it called? The uh, phenomenal forearm uh, off his shoulders and just the visual of him going raw with AJ coming off the top. I thought it was awesome. And now they're the tag champions. So we'll see where that goes. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know exactly how I feel about Amis. He did a lot better than I thought he would. Uh, although someone was quick to say, I forgot who it was. When you come in the ring as someone that size, like if you watch Kevin Nash, big show, Andre, they always go with the middle part because if you try to do it over by the turnbuckle, since you're so heavy, you can like snap your nuts. So you might not want to do that again. Cause it looked like it kind of took him a second to go over the, uh, top rope. Random shit. I noticed Chris. <laughs> um, I didn't even notice that. I thought this was a cool spot. Uh, I mean, personally, I would have had the New Day win here, but for what they did, I thought it was good, and the match itself was pretty good, and uh, I'm, I'm using the word good a lot, but uh, yeah, for almost as, like, in-ring debut, this was solid, and uh, are they building towards just HBK and, and Nash? Yeah, they're copying it. Okay. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. As long as almost is, I mean... Could you pick a better dance partner? The same way with D, like with Kevin Nash, like could you have picked a better dance partner than Sean, really? So if you're gonna go that route with AJ Styles and him, I'm I'm cool with it. Let's see how it plays out because we haven't seen the guy enough outside of like Raw Underground. Like I don't know much about his career other than he looked very dominating in this match and it paid off well. But he was also in there with the New Day, who were great. So. The new day in AJ Styles. I don't know if he's going to get the same quality of opponents each week, but uh, we'll see. I guess, man. I, I guess they're setting up based on Monday, or this Monday, I should say. Uh, Viking Raiders versus them down the line would be my guess. Woo! <laughs> Sorry, I I do like the Viking Raiders. It's not their fault. It's just 
I mean, I watched them in weird fucking segments with the Street Profits. So maybe they can get above that. Street Profits have Montez Ford to do that. I don't think the same. Uh, there was ninjas, for Christ's sakes. Remember that, Chris? Well, yeah, there was definitely ninjas. But, hey, you you have AJ Styles, right? So <laughs> as long as AJ Styles is in the match taking the ass whipping, then Omos comes out and he goes against these two brutes of the Viking Raiders, you can make that work. And one thing cool about AJ, now a Grand Slam champion, a double Grand Slam, because he he won all the titles in uh, TNA at the time. So pretty fucking awesome. Tag titles, IC title, US title, and obviously the World Heavyweight title. Uh, AJ always just building more and more for himself, right? One of the best. That's true. Gainesville. <laughs> yeah, what's he gonna, what are they going to do when he wins all the titles in WWE? And he's just like, well, I don't want to be here anymore. I guess I'm going to go talk and shop a mania. I mean, uh, my frames are over at Impact and IEW, so uh, I haven't won titles over there. <laughs> but you have, AJ. <laughs> Oh, He's yeah, well, I'm talking about eight. I ain't going back to fucking Impact, but I'll hang out with them. <laughs> Shit. Now, all, all joking aside, he signed a contract for basically what he said was going to be the rest of his career. So if AJ can help get these guys over in a way that makes sense and put on good matches, that's, that's all you really want from AJ at this point. Unless, uh, you know, unless you can bring up someone really good like Adam Cole to have AJ oh. Styles versus Adam Cole or, you know, some of these other guys like Organo and Ciampa. Down the line, AJ is a good gatekeeper for whatever role you want to put him in. Whether you want him to be a heel or a babyface, he can kind of always be that guy as long as he's healthy. It's always reminding me of a certain other guy because of that factor over here. Um, all right, so the next match we had Braun Strowman against Shane McMahon in a steel cage match. I will say this. I mean, this is exactly what we thought it was going to be, and I'm so happy that he didn't go from the top of the fucking cage to through the announce table. But that was a gnarly ass bump, regardless. Uh, it was. I, I texted this to you. It was better than it should have been. So I don't really know what the hell that equates to, but Veron got the win, and he let us all know by yelling it that this is for everyone that's gotten bullied. Who the fuck bullied Braun Strowman? He's had to have been six foot seven. His whole entire fucking life. Whatever. So stupid. So, so so apparently maybe I missed this, but earlier in the night when they were doing all of those different promos, he did cut a promo on the fact that he was bullied by Shane McMahon in the back as a boss, I guess. It, it was no, either on the bump or one of those. I think it was on the bump. I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I think he was trying to say that, but I think... It was probably all kayfabe. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, I've only heard good things about Shane McMahon uh, as opposed to some of the rest of the McMahon family. So I'd be surprised that he just picks on Braun. And Braun would eat him. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This match was fine. It's exactly what I thought this match would be. And uh, look, just because the storyline sucked going into it didn't mean the match itself was bad. It, It was fine for what it was. Yeah, Braun can throw motherfuckers. He definitely can. But let's just think about this. Even though it was kind of an audible because of Roman, last WrestleMania, he beats Goldberg for the title. This WrestleMania, he throws Shane off the top of a cage. Remember 2016, Braun Strowman? Well, once again, the Brock syndrome. They could have put the title on the guy, and they didn't. Let's talk about Samoa Joe, right? 
that's a great point. That always is a good point. All right, let's go to the next match. We have Bad Bunny and Damian Priest versus The Miz and John Morrison. There was a lot of rabbits out there. I would love to know which NXT talent, unfortunately, had to go out there dressed as a fucking Easter rabbit. But then again, they probably got paid, so get your money. And uh, talk of the town. I thought the glaring thing was Damian Priest wasn't in the match as much as I thought he should have been to shine. But Bad Bunny did a good job in the ring. Now, let me just squash, because I guess NXT's not as mainstream as Raw and fucking SmackDown. I get it. But Bad Bunny might have done a good job and learned a lot of stuff, and I appreciate him taking wrestling seriously and, and learning some high-flying stuff and taking some risks, because he doesn't have to. He's a celebrity. Pat McAfee's been the best thing as far as a celebrity coming in and doing something since Ronda fucking Rousey. So, let me just squash that. But... Fun tag match. John Morrison was great in it. Him and The Miz sold really well. Made Bad Bunny look like a million bucks. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like Damien could have gotten the pin at the end, but I get it. Business decisions. This could have been way fucking worse. So what did you think, Chris? thought it was pretty entertaining. I thought it was entertaining as well, and they did a good job of making Bad Bunny shine. And look, man, he did a lot of stuff in the ring I didn't think he was going to do. But at the same time, he's in there with John Morrison, and I'm pretty sure John Morrison gave himself and Bad Bunny as a Canadian destroyer at the end of this match. <laughs> he totally did. <laughs> it's kind of one of the most crazy, impressive things I've ever seen. It's like Bad Bunny was not ready, and John Morrison's like, oh, we're doing this fucking flip, bud. <laughs> Uh, so shout out to John Morrison for being fucking very underutilized and still being one of the craziest things I've ever seen in the ring when, when they really let him go. And I, I think he carried a lot of this match and look props to bad bunny, man it takes a lot of effort to go through this, do this whole WrestleMania thing, be involved with it for months and actually train like shout out to him. Definitely a great celebrity. I mean, I would put him up there with Stephen Amill. Um, but like you said, it, yeah, looking back on it with Pat McAfee and, you're like, well, <laughs> how how good was he? Because it's not really a, a singles match. But that really does speak to, you know, it, it was cool to see a celebrity care that much about wrestling. I don't know how many there are out there anymore, man. Like, do you think Soulja Boy is going to do this, <laughs> even though he wants to become a professional wrestler? Or no, 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 no. Soldier Boy called out wrestling as fake. Uh, uh -oh. Little Bow Wow wants to become a wrestler. Yeah, so I, I think Little Bow Wow should look at this and realize how much work it's going to take, and, and then maybe you won't get a John Morrison to work with. <laughs> but John Morrison, uh, to me, carried a lot of this match, and I think I even sent you that. I was like, holy shit, fucking John Morrison's popping off in this match because he looked great. Um, yep. But, you know, Bad Bunny looked good for what he was and, and what he was supposed to be in that match, and I would say better than most of the celebrities I've ever seen on WrestleMania. Um, so good for him, man. And, uh, like I, I, I didn't even know who bad bunny was a couple of months ago. So like he did that performance and I literally messaged you like, who the fuck is bad bunny? And that's just because I'm an old man, not because I have anything against bad bunny. I'm just an old man. Dang. Dude, I'm so old. I thought he was a new like guy in the Corona commercials when I first saw him before he came to that. And he was doing like the calling back, like this is bad bunny with uh Snoop Dogg. And then, oh, no, he's actually a pretty big star. That's why they put him in the commercials. I had no fucking clue about that. So I thought yeah, he was like I a real sponsor. 
<laughs> and then I went and checked out his music, and I was like, oh, I could see why this guy's huge. Like, not necessarily my thing, but I could definitely see why he's huge. So I didn't go the uh, the other fan route of, like, just slamming this guy for some reason. Fans don't do that, by the way. If you're, like, minor Dane's age, if you don't know something, it doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. No, even if it's not your cup of tea, we're kind of stuff moves on just like the wrestling industry evolves the music industry evolves if it's on direction that you like it's understandable but that's just that's just how it goes and uh especially if you never try to listen to his stuff which is for a certain type of audience but i didn't think any of it was that bad that i did listen to i just knew it was a certain style it's like you know um kind of caribbean dance but with rap and stuff like that so I don't know. I've worked with a lot of, uh, you know, Hispanic coworkers that have played stuff like that, so I'm kind of used to it. And, you know, he's he's someone different. He's he's a part of this generation. Quit being fucking old, like Chris said. Douchebag. Yeah, I, I well, well, I called myself old. To to be fair to everyone else, if you are old, guess what? I'm also old. But, you know, I I think he elevated this a little bit, right? And the intro on the truck yeah, thing, that video package thing. he had, was cool. That's the thing. You might say, oh, he took away a spot from another wrestler, which is understandable reasoning. But if he also brings eyes to the product with outside people, that's the reasoning why. And that's a business decision. So good business decision, bad business decision. <laughs> let go a bunch of fucking people a couple of days after WrestleMania on the same day that you did it a year beforehand. That's a bad business decision. Saudi Arabia. Who's, whose spot did he take away? It was, it was almost uh... – it was almost eight hours of WrestleMania. Like, who else were they going to fit on this card that should be there? Well, I don't know. Maybe the SmackDown tag titles. But <laughs> if you're if you're going to clip anything off, how about the less than six minutes of Randy Orton Fiend bullshit? Uh, let's get to, before we get to that. Let's get to the last match. Um, singles match for the WWE Women's SmackDown or the SmackDown Women's Championship, a uh, little bit under 18 minutes. Bianca Belair defeated Sasha Banks, who was a champion. I personally really love this match. Um, I just love the emotion. I, I I know there's a difference between a technical masterpiece, like I thought that Cesaro and, and Seth put on, and something like, I don't want to compare this on the same level as Cody and Dustin, but on that same type of, storytelling you can tell there's a lot in it and i love bianca having kind of like the Shawn michaels moment at the end i love at the beginning that she was you know kind of starting to lose it this is too and they actually announced it the only good announcement that michael cole did um was this is two african-american women uh first ever in a main event you know and it was a big deal and uh i thought the match was uh very well done i don't ever want to get hit by a fucking braid in my life from the laceration that Sasha had on the side of her. Uh, and uh, yeah, I love that Bianca got the win and she deserved it. I, I love the the thing that happened on NXT and we'll talk about in the next show with the three women champions was awesome. It's, it's the closest thing that we've had to the, the, the four horsewomen a couple of years prior. So uh, like this match that had a lot of emotion in it. Uh, Sasha gave a lot to Bianca. They had a good match and I don't ever want to get whipped by a ponytail. Chris, have you ever been whipped by a long ponytail? 
No, I haven't. Sounds terrible, though. And after seeing this match, definitely not something I look forward to ever happening to me. Uh, This match was really, really good. I think it was the second best match, probably at WrestleMania in general, even though I really did like the Zayn and Kevin Owens match. Um, But, yeah, my only thing with this match is... Is Sasha a heel or a baby face? It's more of the lead-up to the match, I yeah. guess, more than anything else that kind of killed it for me. But the match itself I thought was really good, and I, I love the fact that they're going to give Bianca a title run. So we'll see how that goes. I'm excited they're finally doing something with Bianca, and uh, it's cool that she got this big WrestleMania moment, and I loved her interview on the bump the following day for night two, like I, like I said earlier. And I'm excited to see what happens on SmackDown. Because I'm assuming Bailey's getting back in this picture, right? And uh, what if Io Shirai shows up? Someone who just recently lost the title. So It makes that division a heck of a lot more uh, interesting, that's for sure. Yes, especially because she's already beaten Bianca Belair, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so... Uh, there's a lot of cool stuff they could do from here. I think it's a really cool moment, it's, especially if you look at it from like a cultural aspect in WWE with this being a first ever. It is really cool, and it definitely should have been the main event. Um, but I'm not going to lie and, and pretend that it was my favorite match on the card because of that. Um, <laughs> but it was my second favorite match on the card. So hey. there's that. Hell yeah. Uh, you know what my favorite match was? Uh, not this next one, which opened up uh, night two. That we've been... What the fuck was this? I don't even know. So, Randy Orton comes out. He had raided uh, Booker T's uh, wardrobe, apparently, and got his old uh, fucking Harlem Heat trunks. Um, And the entrances of both these guys and Alexa Bliss and the package was longer than the fucking match. Randy comes out. No dick snake. That's the only good thing I can say about this. Alexa's on this giant box like, or what, what the fuck did Michael Cole say? This four-sided box-like structure. It's a, it's a box-like structure, which, by the way, Brian Alvarez has been having a fucking ball with recently, and continue to do that, Alvarez, for the love of God. It's hilarious. He's calling it's a everything a structure. <laughs> God, Michael Cole. I know it's, like, fed to him, but Jesus. Oh, it's terrible. Anyways... So after that description, if you didn't know what the fuck a goddamn box is, it's a uh, one of those windy thingies. What are the dun, 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 what the hell are they called? Uh, happy boxes. Uh, ja- it was a jack in the box, and someone also pointed out that the camera angles that they were trying to put on Alexa Bliss during this were very unflattering, which I tend to agree with. But yes, it was a jack in the box, which they did the thing, and then out popped the fiend, who no longer was burnt to a crisp. Yeah, and not only that, did you not notice that they ruined that by accidentally showing him coming out underneath, like, the ramp part? So you knew he was back as the normal fiend before they had the big reveal for everyone. So that was uh, interesting. Um, and then the match happened, and it was fiend no-selling everything, which is what we thought. You know, Randy would go to the outside to get away from him, get advantage of him, then do the slam on the table. Fiend gets right the fuck up. He gave him, like, three of those hanging DDTs. And then Alexa, the lights go out, and I was like, okay, well, this could be interesting. You know, maybe this will happen. This will happen. You know, the lights go on. Alexa Bliss has this weird black fucking fountain thing come out of her goddamn forehead. 
like oil's leaking and the fiend's distracted and Randy Orton T or TKO Randy Orton uh, RKO's him one two three a, a fucking hammer you know uh, multiple chair shots fiend gets right up one RKO out of nowhere and six minutes not even six minutes in five minutes fifty seconds in the fiend loses to Randy Orton first match of WrestleMania. Does Bray Wyatt have any control over the fucking character at this point, Chris? No, absolutely none. There's no way that this is his idea. There is absolutely no way. And I'm sure Tom Savini is also distancing himself from the masks at this point. He's like, I don't know, man. Um, You know, the funny thing is, is like I messaged you and I said, this is a good match outside of the red bullshit because they they decided. Oh, yeah. Why the fuck do they bring that back? I have no idea, but they I guess they decided, hey, we're going to do the red fucking tent again, which I immediately hate. Uh, it's not as bad if you're there in person, because I've seen it happen with uh, what Mystico, what was his, Sin Cara. Mm-hmm. When you're there in person, it's not as bad. It does kind of add like a weird element to the match. But watching it at home, like it's hard to see the movement of people in the fucking ring. And I'm watching this shit on a 4K television. So like if you're watching this on like a monitor on your Xbox or some shit. It's got to be fucking terrible. But, um, yeah. I So I enjoyed the match up until the finish, man. Really? I was like, hey, they're having a good match. This might be a good Fiend match. And they're like, no. <laughs> Guess what, bud? <laughs> and his, uh, like you said, when he came out with his uh, Booker T, you know, 2006 white trunks on, I was like, so Randy Orton is supposed to be the good guy in this match. The white cowboy, the white hat cowboy versus the big evil Bray Wyatt and Alexa Bliss, I guess. And then he just hits him with one RKO and that's the end of the match. And I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> uh, the fans also thought, what the fuck, Dane? Very, very loudly. Boo! Especially when they gave the reveal of Bray just staring at her for this awkward two minutes after the match ended, and then they tried to pipe in other shit on the broadcast, which I'm assuming was not there in the building, but definitely on the broadcast. Um, This was awful. It sucks to be Bray Wyatt right now. (sighs) I have one crazy-ass scenario that would never work because it would just be awesome. Uh, lights go out, lights come on, Abyss is in the ring. Abyss is staring at the Fiend. Michael Cole goes, is that that, that wrestler called Abyss? He must be a box-like structure. No, I'm just kidding about that last part. And Abyss looks at Bray Wyatt, comes up to him. You know, he goes to choke him, and then he fucking choke slams him, does his finisher, and then lights go on, lights go off, he's gone, and Randy Orton takes out the Fiend. And you set up Abyss with the Fiend. Also, why the fuck wasn't the Fiend burnt? How does that even make any sense? I, I have no idea, but if you're going to do this, lights go on, lights go off, and you just inducted Kane into the Hall of Fame, this is immediately what I thought, is Kane is just going to choke yeah. the fuck out of all three of these people, and that would have been amazing. And then you just end this dumbass feud, and we never have to hear about it again, which I guess, like, to... You know, for Randy's credit, he's been putting up with this shit for, like, three months, and... It, basically came out unscathed <laughs> from this. Like Randy Orton's going to go back to being Randy Orton. Alexa bliss and the fiend are not going to go back to being whatever they are. So that sucks to be them, I guess. 
the rumor is Bray Wyatt, there will no longer be Fiend for any time soon, and he'll just be um, Funhouse Bray Wyatt for the time being. So the Fiend just disappears because Alexa Bliss has black goo on her head? Well, apparently, I, I guess Alexa Bliss is going to become the female fiend or some shit. I don't fucking know. Oh, so it's like fucking a symbiote. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so it's just basically Venom. <laughs> That's That explains the black goo. Maybe they should have pointed that out a little better. You know, I, I uh, apparently, and this is not confirmed, this is something I heard, and I forgot exactly who said it because I listened to way too many fucking podcasts, but Bray really didn't want the character to go past being this fucking weird-looking guy, you know, this version of him that's like a killer. A lot of the more supernatural elements uh, were kind of thrown in there. So, And uh, honestly, I can believe that since the basis of Kane, that was the same principles Jim Cornette kind of brought up for Kane when they were coming up with him. And then they were like, oh, he's a demon. And he's like, wait, what? No, he just got burned. What are you? How the hell is he a demon? So, you know, Vince, it's good shit. But the difference is they had already gotten Undertaker over to the point where it's okay for Kane to be a demon, right? Yeah. So in that sense, it worked, right? And and like, man, how much better would it have been if the lights did go out and Kane was just in the center of the ring, gave both of them a chokeslam, threw the hands down, Alexa Bliss pisses herself or whatever, and then we just go about our business and you figure out new gimmicks for all these people. Dude, I mean, those are the two suggested. Abyss and Kane were the ones I heard people say that they were hoping it would be. I was thinking Kane, and then it was that Abyss with, I guess, her eyelashes were, you know, it, it was like the Lucky video with, with Britney Spears but coming from her fucking forehead. <laughs> I have no idea what that was. And the promo on Monday, which we'll talk about on the next show, uh, did not give me any clarification. Apparently, she really hates uh, the darkness, the band. She does not believe in a thing called love, Dave. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is terrible. See, this is why these podcasts take so long, because WWE gives a shit like this, and it takes 15 minutes to get through a five-minute match, because it's so goddamn bad. <sighs> woosa, woosa. Let's fucking move on from this fucking shit show. Next match, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler against Italian Tamina. I didn't see them winning. I don't remember a lot that happened from this match. I don't remember it being anything terrible, but nothing to write home about. I was just really happy. I, I'm, I'm assuming that Tamina's never had a huge WrestleMania crowd shouting her name. They were behind her. They were behind Natalia, which was great because both of them can work, especially Natalia. Um... And then Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler end up winning, but like I said, I saw that coming. But, you know, they gave these ladies 14 minutes and 20 seconds. And like I said, specifically for Tamina, I'm glad she got basically a WrestleMania moment in night one and night two. Psychology-wise, this was a pretty good match because Nia takes out Tamina early on on the um, on the outside. And then you just get the beatdown with Shayna just absolutely destroying um, – Shayna looked great yeah. in this match. Yeah, she absolutely destroys Natalie's leg or in her ankle, and and then when or Shayna destroys Nia's ankle basically, and then when Nia came in, I was like, oh my god, please remember what leg. This is the first thing I thought she did 
luckily. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Shayna and Nia look strong in this match, and it is what it is. I mean, they weren't taking the titles off of them. I thought the ending was interesting, too, with Natalia putting the sharpshooter on Nia, not knowing that Shayna tagged herself in, and then just Shayna coming up behind her and choking her the fuck out. Uh, kind of different. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, this was a pretty, pretty good match, honestly. I think it, you know, the thing is, is that, that the first match left such a stink in everyone's mouth or just a bad taste, I guess. Well, a stink in a bad taste that it was hard for both the crowd and maybe the audience at home to get behind because the crowd was completely dead, no matter how hard these cats worked in the ring. And then, like I said, I think, you know, overall, this wasn't that bad of a wrestling match. And there was some decent psychology. And like you said, the finish was actually kind of creative. Uh, with Shayna getting the blind tag and just choking her out. And then uh, base, I, I don't want to call it a beatdown, but they get the fuck out of here with Shayna and Nia just standing as dominating champions. But then Monday night happened. So who the fuck knows where they're going with those two? I'm just glad Reginald's not involved. Anyways, um, next match, probably my favorite match of the night. Uh, I don't know. I love the triple throw as well, but. This one was a yeah actually this was probably my favorite just because they have great chemistry Kevin Owens Sami Zayn Logan Paul I think you put Logan Paul on com- if you're gonna have this annoying obnoxious personality maybe you give him a dry run on like SmackDown or something but I feel like you put him on commentary not have him just sit there that's just my my thing but um really wasn't about that it was about Kevin and Sami and my lord, the live rounds. I just love that, you know, it's it's very similar to Sheamus and Drew McIntyre. If they're good friends, they trust each other, and they know that they're not worried about either hurting or pissing off the other person by potatoing them because they're good friends. They're, they're doing that for the fucking moment and to make the match as, as big as they can. And uh, I thought these guys had an excellent match. Um, I knew Kevin Owens was going to win, but Sammy just his facial expression just bouncing off Kevin Owens but also him coming back and his it's 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 he he's so pissy but it comes off kind of like not intimidating but like aggressive still uh when he's actually you know getting advantages and stuff like that and his halluva kick I still think that the blue thunder bomb should be his finisher but I've been saying that for a long time Kevin Owens ended up winning against Sammy and then afterwards you know, Sammy tried to get Logan to, I guess, like him. Logan pushed him down. And I like how Kevin Owens like, hey, look, 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 look. He might have kicked me in the face when we might have had a match while Sammy's, like, leaving all sad and shit. But uh, if anyone's going to whoop his fucking ass, it's going to be me. And Logan tried to raise his hand, and what I wanted to happen happened. Stunner to Logan Paul, and KO leaves uh, with one of the better mat- work matches uh, in both nights. Just like last year with him and Seth. Kevin Owens is someone you can rely on to put on a good fucking match. Period. Um, regardless of the dance partner, even though this one and Sammy and Seth are great, but Kevin works can work with a fucking uh, sex doll. And if he did it, he'd probably piss off Jim Cornette more. <laughs> I kind of wish he would now. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh this was a really, really well-worked match. They didn't give them as much time as I wanted, which I knew would be the caveat of how good this match could be because this could have easily been the best match at WrestleMania. They gave them a bit bit more time, but, you know, that's being a little selfish, I guess. That being said, 
really cool spots in the match. Basically all the stuff you would expect to see out of Sammy and, and Kevin Owens. And one thing I will say about Sammy, this character he is playing totally reminds me of Owen Hart when he turns against Brett and he kicks the leg out of Brett's leg. You know what I'm talking about? That annoying, oh, yeah. pestering black heart, uh, Owen Hart. Is, I don't know if he's channeling that, but it does come off like that. So I hope they do more. Well, it's Sammy. He did post a picture with him and the two slammies and said, like my idol on Twitter with Owen and the two uh, or whatever the Sammies that he had, the two Sammies. And he had him positioned exactly like Owen Hart with his two slammies in the picture. So probably yeah. uh, probably trying to him and Kevin Owens. They were huge Owen Hart fans. So, yeah, it, I mean. His in-ring stuff is not necessarily Owen Hart at all, no, uh, by by no. any means. But um, the character itself, the character he's playing right now, this guy that thinks the entire world is against him, is very much when Owen turned on Brett and his entire family. It, it definitely reminds me of that, shades of that. And it was fun to see Kevin kind of sh- stand up for him at the end without standing up for him. He's like, hey, I just beat his ass, but don't you ever grab my wrist like that, like you know me, and then hits <laughs> Paul with that stunner. And, you know, props to Paul for selling that stunner like he got shot. <laughs> so <laughs> if you had to do one thing in your wrestling career, selling the stunner really well is good. Though I was really hoping for like the Sergeant Slaughter kind of sell, just because it always makes me laugh. Uh, <laughs> but he uh, he took it really well. Also, Sammy, the way Sammy took the Stone Cold stunner, uh, was very unique, where he just went down on his knees and kind of flopped back Matrix style which was enjoyable, but I liked this match and I'm glad they didn't. I, I know you said they should have had him on commentary, but it would have taken away from the, the overall match. Honestly, that's true. That's true. I can agree with you on that. Um, I do like that part though, where, where they, they shoot the Logan Paul afterwards and they're waking him up like the referees. And he's like, what happened? Like, I, I, I was like, Hey, good on you, man. That's a, uh, just, just a little thing to add on the end of just him being like, what the fuck just happened to me, man? Why am I knocked out? Loved it. Yeah, it was it was a fun match and uh, is exact exactly what I expected. I'm just glad that like Paul didn't get involved. Um, I kind of just liked that he was just the presence there at ringside to just catch a stunner, because that could have went way worse if they had him get involved in the match and cause like this weird fuck finish or whatever in a match that really didn't need it. And maybe, hey, maybe Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn will be tag partners now. <laughs> Weirder things have happened. I'd love to see them get the, t- the tag titles in some way or some regard in the future. Um, maybe you put the mask back on Sami finally, and he can be El Generico from Honduras. He came back. Where did Sami go? Doesn't matter. He got taken up, but doesn't matter. El Generico's back. Who's Sami? Um... Also That'd plays really well into uh, Sammy's conspiracy theory and <laughs> gets kidnapped and Elton Erico comes back. And then later on, you bring Sammy back. See, over here booking for you, WWE, not even paying attention. Well, I heard that that uh, El Generico is actually in a long feud in Honduras right now with the Curry Man. So that's at least what um, I, I believe Christopher Daniels was saying from what he heard. Uh, the Curry Man and uh, oh. El Generico are having a long feud in Honduras. I, be- I believe this. Well, they have pasty white guys, apparently, in Honduras, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> next match, 
Uh, Hard-hitting is uh, definitely the words I have to say for it. Because we know that Riddle is snug, and Sheamus is definitely snug. And they uh, fought for the WWE United States Championship. I think the biggest, like, Matt Riddle, man, he's doing springboard, or, you know, he just went all out. He's doing springboards off the, you know, apron into fucking 360s onto Sheamus, going off the top ropes, giving a moonsault. And then he tries to do a, a moonsault in the ring. And when he does it, Sheamus comes and answers with a bro kick right to the fucking face, splitting Matt Riddle open. It was a gnarly spot, uh, very well executed, I will say, and uh, beating him for the United States Championship. I like the uh, promo beforehand with Riddle uh, trying to become buddy-buddy with the great Kali. And then Rob Van Dam came in. I also loved their uh, thing on the bump that you told me about. Uh, the interaction on there, or did I tell you about it? I don't remember. One or the other happened, fucking. But, no, you told me about it. And then um, they let RVD, when they fired him, when he got caught with drugs, with weed, with him and Sabu, they fired him. Now, this time period, he's promoting his new fucking rolling papers on WrestleMania. Like, did they clear that with Peacock? Anyways, uh, I'm glad Sheamus is the uh, the U.S. champion. Good Constellation Prize. Get Riddle hooked up with RVD in some way. We need more of that. Yeah, it... So... Oh, did you like the pirate birds that flew out of Matt Riddle's ass this time? They were pirates. <laughs> I must have oh. missed that. The oh, fuck? I must have missed this. This is when he flipped his sandals. Yeah. whatever. Okay, your flip graphic. The fuck I, is wrong? I, I, fucking, I guess I missed that. That's hilarious, though. Um, so there's a lot to like about this match, but did Sheamus get blown up midway through? Because he started fucking up a lot of shit. Like, uh, there's that apron spot where Riddle is going to go push him into the post, and, like, Sheamus just looks completely out of it and does, like, the three most laziest steps I've ever seen, hits the post, and then takes, like, a terrible-looking German... Um, I'm lucky. He, I, I, I'm happy that he didn't get hurt on that. He's lucky he didn't get hurt on that because Riddle deadlifted him basically because he didn't lift for it. Um, so he landed all fucking awkwardly on his side and they get back in the ring and then there's a couple more spots and uh, Seamus picks him up to go for where they call it white noise or whatever off the top. And he almost drops fucking Riddle on his goddamn head in a very scary moment. And then he gets down, he, he catches him, they reset. And it, I'm glad that Seamus didn't try to go back up to the top, like admit your fuck up, because I hate when they do that. He just hit it there and then just picked him up and hit a clothesline. So good on Seamus for that. But was it just me or did Seamus get kind of blown up working with someone like Matt Riddle who moves at the pace of Matt Riddle? Because like the, the past good matches he's had, like Drew McIntyre, that's a slower pace match. But when they threw him in there with Matt Riddle and it's been a while, I, I don't know what happened, but it didn't look like Seamus was ready for whatever was going with some of these spots. Yeah, when you're doing a brawl with Drew McIntyre and you're just throwing punches and, and smashing each other into things, and then you go into a match with Matt Riddle, who has kind of a similar style, but then you throw in all these aerial things where he's fucking catching him doing moonsaults to the outside or springboards from the apron, you probably did get blowed up. I think that makes sense. I remember it did get kind of sloppy in the middle of it and then picked up better at the end. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't doubt if Seamus got 
maybe a little bit blown up. Maybe uh, maybe he worked out too much for it or something. I don't know. Yeah, and and just not not crapping on Sheamus at all because I think this could easily happen to anyone, you know, doing something as fast paced as this. But uh, he also has spinal stenosis, so yep. just keep that in mind with Sheamus. So I don't know what he was going through with this match, but just midway through, there was a wet, there, there was like two or three big spots where someone could have gotten seriously hurt, whether it was him or Matt Riddle. One, like I said, the outside tur- uh, the outside on the apron spot. And the other is the um, the in the corner spot. The, one of the my favorite things was the moonsault that uh, well it's not a moonsault. He does like a twist on it, so I don't know what to call it. But the one to the outside that Riddle hit looked fucking insane. Um, heading into the crowd and Sheamus called him perfect, and they took that perfect bump like kind of right after the suplex spot. So maybe they just did too much. Uh, but it was a good match overall, and uh, the end spot was absolutely crazy, and Sheamus did just basically take the dude's fucking head off, if we're being <laughs> completely honest. And good thing uh, Matt Riddle's used to getting hit in the face from UFC, I guess, because he seemed fine afterwards. But <laughs> that broke kick, uh, that thing landed pretty square. It was, <laughs> yeah. pretty, it was a pretty flush fucking kick. Hey, so, bro, like, all right, so what do you want to, like, do for the ending for me to go into your bro kick? Uh, why don't you do one of your fucking spring, springboard things, and I kick you in the fucking face. Funniest thing, not the stiffest uh, move I've seen in the past seven days, though. <laughs> no. Mike, Mike Tyson, apparently. Jesus. thought you were talking about Walter, but yeah, that too. I'd love to see Seamus and Walter just beat the living fuck out of each other, or Tyson, for whatever. Um, yeah. All right, I want to ask you something. What the fuck do gongs and kendo sticks have to do with Nigerian culture? I asked the same exact thing in multiple text messages. I have no idea what that had, like, how uh, kendo sticks are used for martial arts, mostly, as far as I know. And kind of They're made out of bamboo, which is from the regions of Asia, um, along with the gong. Kind of popularized by the Sandman and Steve Blackman, from what I recall, if I'm digging back into my wrestling knowledge. Uh, Some of them came from Singapore, apparently. And gongs, and you're a drummer, so you could probably speak more on this, aren't there? Isn't that more of a an Asian thing? Yeah, both of them, actually. Um, hmm. What the fuck was the Nigerian drum fight? Uh... It was just a hardcore match, basically, and it was a very short one. I didn't want Big E, who I think is a potential to become the next uh, big champion, to lose Apollo. I understand that, yeah, you bring in Baba Tunde, he's going to be his new, you know, I guess Diesel. We're doing that again. with We already did that with Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez and also AJ and Amis, but whatever. Let's just keep on recycling it. Uh, I know there was interference, but Apollo just lost. I didn't really think he deserved the match against because of the fact that he just lost in the last fucking pay-per-view from Big E. I didn't want to see Big E lose. And to represent, thank God they had so many, you know, black performers on this fucking thing. But to represent Nigerian culture, it's a hardcore match with a couple drums, but mostly gongs and kendo sticks. This is all fucking Vince. This is probably Vince and Bruce Pritchard. They thought it was great. So, okay. So when I thought Nigerian 
a Nigerian drum match. If I if I thought you were going to have one, it would be a bunch of people playing drums in a circle, and you have to fight in the circle. Which and would be like, kind of cool. Which is like outside, not in the ring. That's why I kept asking, what is a Nigerian drum match? Is this just a hardcore match and there's some drums outside? Which is exactly what fucking happened, basically. And uh, I, I don't know, man. Even at the pre-show, like... You get some very awkward moments where Booker T is talking like he's from Nigeria. By the way, go back and watch that. And um, trying to explain a Nigerian drum match by saying he's going to beat him like a drum. So that's how it's a Nigerian drum match. And I'm like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Keep on curling your mustache, Booker. It's like, I don't even know what you guys are talking about. If you're going to do a Nigerian... like, See, the thing about the Punjabi prison match is at least the structure looked cool. Say what you will about the match, but like <laughs> the structure itself did seem like a Punjabi prison. So when you start naming things like that, I expect it to be something weird I've never seen before. Not just like, hey, we threw some drums and some cymbals out here and a couple kendo sticks. Get at, get at it. <laughs> like, um, But yeah, the, the match itself, the entering work and stuff was fine. And uh, I guess Babatunde is... Uh, Apollo Cruz's bodyguard. Guess that's what they're going for. So they have two situations right now with big dudes as bodyguards. Well, one of them's Diesel, and I guess this one's uh, supposed to be Big Boss Man. I don't fucking know. But I also, know, maybe, I love no selling AJ. the fucking fact that this guy has been on the fight, whatever the hell the thing was called, the Monday Night Fight thing. Like, we've seen this guy, but all of a sudden Michael Cole's like, who is this guy? God damn it. Like, we're not fucking idiots. They tried to do that with the Moss. It was like, no, that's the door guy from the fucking fight club. What are you yeah, talking it's, about? It's like, just don't put, if you don't want shitty things, if you don't want people to remember, be remembered as shitty gimmicks, don't put them on TV, I guess would be the, would be the thing to say. Um, yeah, man. So yeah, as far as the, the diesel comparison, what if AJ just tricks uh, Babatunde to be his uh, his Sid Vicious, you know? <laughs> we just really go full into the <laughs> full. You just like retell it. that entire storyline. Why not? I I don't know. This is weird to me. In the uh, I would rather them fucking do a goddamn like cover band thing and just redo a storyline than some of the shit that the fucking writers and Vince come up with nowadays. Nigerian drum fight. You got to be fucking kidding me. I mean, the whole character is just weird to me, and it's it's why is he doing the accent? He because the entire thing is talking about his Nigerian heritage and how he wants to dial back into his Nigerian heritage. Well, your heritage doesn't necessarily have to do with where you grew up or how you talk or what accent you have. Could you imagine if someone tried to do that? Like, I'm trying to go back. I'm a trying to go back to my Italian heritage. Like, <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Um. Yeah, it's just it's bad, and it just sucks because Apollo Cruz is actually really good in the ring, and I think this yes. is a good gimmick, and he could talk yeah. about his Nigerian heritage. It's like, but once you throw the accent on there that he's never had his entire life, especially because he grew up here in Stone Mountain, Georgia, um, and I've seen him wrestle places. <laughs> uh, it's just such a weird thing that they didn't really need to add something to his character. They could have just, if they wanted, like I said, your heritage doesn't 
it doesn't necessarily describe how you what your accent is. No, I agree. Um, but yeah, I like this positioning. Do you think in in a like a silver lining to this is maybe they're getting the the Intercontinental title off of Big E to put him more in a prominent position for the main title, setting it up? Uh, well, we got like at least two months, right? He's gonna have to he's gonna have to have a couple rematches now that he's lost the belt. That's a good point. So, I mean, that's just typical WWE booking. Now, could Big E win? Like, I don't know what Money in the Bank is, but he could randomly win Money in the Bank or something. So he can lose it to someone else, like sell it to The Miz or some shit in the fucking storyline? I don't know. My friend pointed out the fact that they may save Big E for a big WrestleMania moment to to win a title or something. And I, I think that wouldn't necessarily be the, the worst call of all time. To no, kind of have his, his own Kofi moment. So if he wins Money in the Bank, I could see him holding it until, you know, near Rumble or something and cashing in on whoever the other person's not going to challenge against and then winning the title. If I was going to do something with Big E, I would do something like this. This is just kind of a weird bump in the road for him because I do think they are big. They've always been behind Big E, right? Um, even yep. going back to his days with AJ Lee. So I don't think that's far-fetched at all and, and not a bad choice. I guess it just depends on how things look nine months from now is really, <laughs> like, really the answer to that question. All right. Um, this next match, I think, suffered a bit because of the lack of uh, developing an actual storyline. And I know they had to do some makeshift stuff with everything with Charlotte. We had Rhea Ripley going against Asuka. I just assumed Rhea was probably going to win because why the fuck let Asuka beat her after last year? You had Charlotte beat her. Just how the hell is she going to be, you know, big for the future if she's, like, taken down a peg again and Asuka's held the title for a while? I thought they were kind of awkward. I think that they they had a little bit of a clash of styles, uh, but both ladies are still pretty damn good wrestlers. Um, I... Felt bad for the act that does the entrance for Rhea Ripley that we're playing it live. I am, you know, a singer, and I feel like she could not hear what the fuck, you know, how she sounded because it sounded terrible, uh, in all honesty. But Rhea looked like a badass. She ended up winning, and uh, big moment for her. And her being, like I said, Raquel Gonzalez, all same class, all good friends going into NXT. All of them end up winning the titles that week. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, I think unlike the last women's title match, this one definitely suffered from a lack of storyline. Yeah, I have to agree with you on the lack of storyline. And as far as the uh, performance, I sent you immediately. I was like, oh my God, this sounds terrible. And then like five seconds later, I was like, she must not be able to hear in her in-ear monitors (laughs) or something because it was just... It was so off to the point that Vince wouldn't wouldn't have put it on live, if, if that's what they said. What the like, hell is right? this? This is why I say ACDC is the best rock band. What the <laughs> fuck is this? <laughs> so it had to be something equipment wise, which if you've ever played in a live uh, setting or a live venue, you never know what you're going to get. Like sometimes it might start out great, and then the sound guy decides he's going to drink a little too much, or one of the monitors goes out on stage and this is what happens. And that's kind of how I felt about that performance. So I'm not going to completely bury that band because I've never seen them live. I'm just going to write it off to 
shit happens. <laughs> and I feel bad for that person because it wasn't even that she was off key. She was also off time. Like she couldn't hear the drums or whatever. That's a big ass place, especially because it's outdoor. So sound is just traveling upwards. There's not, it's not bouncing off anything. So I'm sure there's reasoning on why it sounded as bad as it did. As far as the match goes, uh, I thought it was a really, really good match. Like you said, suffered from not having a storyline. This third best match, I guess, of night two. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that third. And then I would say the follow-up on this is some of the best that they've had so far if you go to Monday Night Raw as far as follow-up and stuff I want to see because we get uh, the Queen herself comes back on, on Monday and, and we get some cool promos and, and a beatdown. So that that makes this a little more intriguing for me. Uh, the Queen... Like I said, the biggest superstar in the modern era on Raw, just like Roman Reigns, was the biggest superstar in the modern era on SmackDown, regardless of the tears of those WWE diehards that hate them. Oh, lovely. Speaking about Roman. <laughs> you know do, do, you, do you ever think that someone's going to feel that way about Kenny Omega at some point? Or Cody Rhodes? I think people do about they're starting to about Cody. The AEW fans, uh, and on Twitter and from what I've heard from other people, they're kind of starting to sour on Cody, which I don't get. If it were out of the two, to me personally, it probably would be Kenny because he's just, in my opinion, don't get fucking at me. I still think Kenny's one of my favorite in-ring wrestlers. His personality is not being shown. He just looks kind of annoying, like you want to fucking punch him. Which maybe is good since he's a heel, because Matt and Nick kind of equate that as well now. So I will say one of the best things that's happened to Kenny Omega is Don Callis, because Don Callis is at least carrying a lot of these promos at this point and taking away from some of the goofiness, even though the way they're being booked right now, I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah, and but the thing is, like, all this is trying to compare this to Bachwinkle, and 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 he, I know he's overhyping it because he's saying Kenny's on the same level as fucking Luthez and, and Gotch and Hackenschmidt and shit like that. It's all to hype it. But when you're saying it's like Bachwinkle and, and Heenan or, or like, you know, Kurt Henning and, and, and Heenan or Ric Flair and Heenan, you know, well, in that scenario, both the manager and the wrestler were both good on the mic. And no offense to Kenny, but he just, he kind of talks like this and he gets all, he gets all frazzled. And he's, you know, it's, 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 it's frantic energy. He's definitely a better in-ring wrestler than a fucking uh, person on the mic. Is, am I wrong for saying that, Chris? No, you're not wrong. I, I'm just, you know, because those two guys are—they've been—they're the AEW darlings. So how long until the fans eventually turn on them? Because it's gonna happen, whether AEW fans want to admit it or not. It's gonna happen. Sorry, started to happen with Cody, like you said. So the same thing with Roman. He's Reigns. like <laughs> considered the Miz of the show because of his new show. They don't like him doing all this extra shit. He's only <laughs> supposed to be a part of AEW, damn it. I can't wait until they talk about how Christian should carry the title for six years. The internet, am I right? Funny shit, funny shit. All right, uh, the final match, like I said. Roman Reigns Jay, with Jey Uso and Paul Heyman in his corner against Edge, against Daniel Bryan. Uh, love the entrances. Uh, just... I. I really thought this was a really good three-way. Um, it's almost 22 minutes long. So it was definitely the, the longest match, I believe, of both nights. Yep. 
they gave them plenty of time to work. I like that, you know, like we said going into this, Roman is the obvious heel, uh, even with Jey Uso being involved in the match at the beginning of it, since it was a triple threat, meaning no rules, whatever. Um, but Edge taking him out pretty, you know, handily and him being taken to the back to come back out, who I thought was Jimmy, and then I felt bad for not knowing the difference, but they're twins, so whatever the fuck. Um, but I I really like this match. I thought that they were really doing a good job with each other. I, I liked some of the stuff that would happen towards the end of the night. Uh, in particular, you know, I'm trying to think of, like, certain things. Oh, the double crossface was really cool. So, Edge gets gets uh, Roman in a crossface, you know, to stop him from tapping. Daniel Bryan puts him in the yes lock, which is the same thing. And then Daniel Bryan and Edge release it and start punching each other. They just had, like, little things that were really, really cool uh, throughout it. There was a lot of interference with Jay, but, hey, it's fucking Roman. He's a heel. He's supposed to do shit like this. It's supposed to be him winning no matter what. And uh, I just like that Daniel Bryan, it went to a, like a series of concertos, I believe, from what I remember. Uh, Edge set up both Daniel Bryan and Roman, and he did them. And then Daniel Bryan went to do it to Roman, I think. What happened exactly at the ending? I know, obviously, Roman speared the fuck out of Daniel Bryan, and then he put Edge on top of Daniel Bryan and pinned them both, which really pissed oh. a lot of people off. So what happened is Edge, he, he wipes both of them out with chairs, and then he starts setting up the concerto, and he hits Brian with it, which is like, you know, with Brian and his concussion stuff, that's like, oh my god, he killed Daniel Bryan. So then he sets it up on Roman Reigns, and he's about to hit it, but in comes that dastardly Uso trying to throw a super kick, and Edge whips that's the right. absolute dog shit out of him with a chair, but he turns around, and guess who's there? Roman Reigns, the guy with the wettest hair, uh, he spears the shit out of him. <laughs> he really does. The spears the shit out of him. He puts the chair there. He gives him the chinchero. He drags his limp-ass body over to Daniel Bryan, stacks them on top of each other, pins him, proves that he is the head of the table, and just stands there like a boss as the show goes off the air. I love the finish of this match. Um, things I didn't like about this match, Edge uh, went into this being a heel, and they wanted him to be the big baby face. So maybe don't book him the way you did going into the match, I guess. You know, yep. screwing Daniel Bryan over <laughs> in the first place to set up this three-way. I love the spot you were talking about. It was my second favorite submission spot of the weekend. My first being that Kushida, where he's going for that hoverboard lock and crawls across the body. Jesus, <laughs> which was pretty cool, uh, but this was a, that was a cool spot because if, at that point, if Roman submitted, it would be a draw, and then you would think that they would have to go against each other. So that was like whoever thought of that, whether it was Edge or Brian, etc., or Roman, who knows, or Paul. Um, that was a cool last spot because like if, even if he tapped, who did he tap to? So you just have to reset the match. I thought that was a cool spot. Uh, Roman. Getting the best of Edge on the outside of the ring and the crowd starting saying Roman sucks and he just picks up Edge and fucking power bombs him through the table and he's like, Y'all suck. Like really playing it up as a heel. I'm like, I was so happy 
that he got to react to people and be a dick right back. Like, I don't give a fuck about you. Like, <laughs> kiss my ass. It was great. Um, they didn't focus on Paul at all in this match because the match itself was so good. Now, here's the bad parts of this match. What the fuck was going on with the camera, bro? <laughs> like, God damn, dude. Uh, do you think that Kevin Dunn did a line with Tony Khan right before he went back in the production truck for this fucking match? My lord. It was like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Like, the pacing. Like, the, like, what they did with Charlotte's interview, where they were literally, like, on Monday, going back and forth, and she, she, she wasn't fast enough, like, humanly fast enough to go from one camera to the other. Like, why do they do that? I, in, in, this was out of all of the matches that we watched the entire weekend. This was by far the worst because they also did the thing where someone would go up for a move, like to do a stomp on someone and they would lift the camera up and swing it down and then lift the camera up and swing it down. Or if Daniel Bryan was throwing a kick, they would pull the, pull the camera back to the right and then throw it to the left and then pull the camera back to the right and throw it to the left. And it was awful. I literally started getting seasick off it's, of it. It's, it's like they're trying to do a visual rumble pack. If that makes sense, like it's wrestling. just don't don't follow <laughs> it with the fucking visualization. Doesn't need to happen. Like it's I like, like if, playing a video game and feeling vibrations because it doesn't stop my fucking line of vision. You know, weird. It's, it's like if the NFL, all the players want wore GoPros, and whenever there was a player, like every time there was a play, they just switched to a different GoPro depending on who the ball was going to. Like that'd be fucking terrible to watch. And uh, that's the biggest, the biggest, my biggest mark against this match, and probably why I don't have it higher, to be honest with you, as far as one of my favorite matches, because I thought the finish was very cool, and um, I like seeing Roman retain the title, honestly. But the camera angles, and and, and I, I'm not the guy that bitches about camera cuts on WWE. If you guys want to listen to Brian Alvarez, he's got you covered for that. Um, but this one was on a different level of bad, and I'm assuming when they finally edit this thing to put it on the network or, you know, when they finally cut this package down, it's not going to look the same versus when it did live. They, there's gotta be different angles. They're going to cut away from, cause there's no way they can watch that and go. Oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's bad. They might. The only, they, like, I hope he doesn't find out about lens flares. Cause like, <laughs> I'm, I'm oh, highly expecting God. to see, <laughs> uh, that, that was the worst part of this match. Everyone worked their ass off and the camera kind of took away from it because it's a three man match. So when you focus on two people and you're doing that ridiculous shit with a camera, I don't know that Daniel Bryan just got up. So I don't know that he's about to come over and kick someone. It takes away from the drama of the match. It's stupid. It's, it's, and, like, I've spent too much time on this. And, and like, I'm not going to bury all of WWE's camera work like some people would. But this match was a uh, specifically very atrocious as far as the camera work goes. I agree with you completely. Now, the 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 question I have for you, since you were, you know, um, understandably a little bit worried going in that it was going to be a three-way. Did it do a good job as far as being a three-way WrestleMania match? Like, did it match... Um, like I said, I think the biggest standard, and it's kind of hard because I, I, it's a lot of different things, emotions, stuff like that, made the Chris Benoit, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels that glowing three-way. But, you know, like I said, Kurt Angle, Randy Orton, Rey Mysterio, where he won the title, like, does it hold that weight, or do you still think it's like, 
you know, kind of Charlotte, Rhonda, and Becky, like, or did you think it was, you didn't think it was bad, so I can't say that. What did you think about it, like, comparing to other WrestleMania three-way matches? Well, I mean, none, well, none of them are going to be the Chris Benoit three-way, right? Um, but, I mean, it was good for what it was and what they were trying to accomplish. I, I, what were they, I mean, unless they just had Daniel Bryan versus Roman Reigns in this match, I don't know that it was going to be better. I don't know that just Roman versus Edge would be a better match than what this match was. It, it's the same thing as That's what, what I, I was wondering as well. Yeah. It's the same thing I said about the Ronda match. It was like, yeah, you threw Charlotte in there, but to some extent that might make that a better match than just Becky versus Ronda. So it kind of, to me, that's kind of how it worked out for as far as how I would see this match. So I didn't have a problem with it. Like I said, the biggest problem with this match is the camera angles and maybe you could have given them a little bit more time in some more in-ring stuff, not so much selling on the outside for all these guys, but it's WWE. So that's kind of just what you're going to get in general. That's just nitpicking. But um, I think all in all, I will say that I like this WrestleMania. I thought there were a lot of good matches. Uh, there were definitely some things that I was not a fan of. But as far as comparing to past WrestleManias, this one definitely stacked up. I think personally they should continue the two-day thing. I think you can get more ticket sales that way. You can make an arena happier by taking up more than one night with WrestleMania. And I don't have to watch a fucking eight-hour goddamn program. You can split it up to two four-hour shows, have two main events, so you can still give due to, you know, different people uh, as part of your roster. And I, I don't know. I think Wrestle Kingdom and WrestleMania, I feel like going two nights might not be a bad idea so we don't have to watch this special at WrestleMania, this long meandering show so by the time we get to the quote-unquote main event we're you know half a bottle deep chris or fucking falling asleep on our television yeah i have to agree with you um they i mean they kind of have one of two options because i can't imagine going to wrestlemania and it's an eight-hour show and i have to get there at three to get in the door and the show starts at five like as a live fan and then you're sitting there until almost 1 a.m. And you're probably getting home by like 2 or 3. Like as a live fan, it's it's just a bad idea. And that's part of the reason New Japan splits their shit up the way they do. Here's the thing. It's like you have two options. You have it two nights or you just don't put so many fucking matches no one cares about on WrestleMania. Make the matches you put on there important like you used to. Give us four matches yeah. of an give us four in, or you know four to six important matches and give those people time to work and sucks to be someone on the card that doesn't get to mania not everyone deserves to be on mania <laughs> it shouldn't be shouldn't be a participation trophy to some extent i know people aren't going to want to hear that but you know that's how it worked for years and years and years especially during the hottest time in that company there wasn't 8 hour manias it's a 4 hour show 8 to 12 so, you know, fi figure it out, I guess. I, I, I don't know what to say. If you're going to do if you're going to do more matches, you're going to do the same amount of matches every year. It needs to be two nights. Agreed. Either a shorter WrestleMania or two nights if you need that many matches, I think just makes sense that way. But uh, closing thoughts, anything else with WrestleMania before we get the flying truck out of here? 
No, like I said, I thought it was a good WrestleMania. I actually liked it better than last year's WrestleMania. I think there was uh, matches I liked on here better. I think the one highlight from last year's WrestleMania was probably the Boneyard match, if I'm really looking back on it kind of fondly. Um, and this year, we got some really good matches. The Triple Threat was good. The Kenny, uh, the, the Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn match was good. Cesaro match and uh, Cesaro and um, Tyler Black. God, why can I think of his fucking name right now? Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins. So there was a lot of good stuff on the show. The Bianca Belair moment was really cool. There was a lot of good stuff on the show. It's just, you know, the the only downfall I would say is night two started out so weak with such a bad segment and then you had the women's tag match right after and even though they worked hard it's like i don't know how you overcome that so my negative my negativity towards this is directly uh at the fiend and that dumbass storyline which i guess at least randy orton is out of so that's a positive to take away (laughs) that is a very good point i'd be very happy to be out of that program but either way wrestlemania was good I uh, liked the diversity. I liked a lot of the aspects, and uh, I, I think that this format's way better. Like Chris said, if they're going to do it, just do it one night. It's probably a, a – just just do it one night with not so many fucking matches. Just the best, the cream of the crop gets to be on WrestleMania. But that is the show for you guys out there. I was about to say tonight. Because technically it's tonight, but it might be any time during the daytime when you listen to this. And we appreciate you guys listening to Wrestling Geeks Alliance show that new listeners, if you don't know, we put on weekly. Uh, there is two shows this week, but normally we record it on Saturdays and get it up by Sunday or Monday for you. And we go over the week of wrestling news and the major events. And we jump not only with WWE and AEW, but we jump to different promotions and talk about the big stuff within the industry. Uh, unfortunate with a lot of the cuts that happened today, but like I said, I think I'm optimistic that going forward, stuff will be good, and uh, yeah, uh, Chris, say goodbye to all the lovely people out there. Bye, all the lovely people out there. Thanks for listening. If you want to talk to me on Twitter, you can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Facebook, Christopher.R.Patton. That's P-A-T-T-O-N, like General Patton, because I've had people ask that recently, so like General Patton, P-A-T-T-O-N. Um, but yeah, outside of that, I got nothing new coming up and to look forward to our show later in the week, Dane, where we can review, uh, I guess, no longer the Wednesday Night Wars. Yes, you are absolutely right about that because it's going to be separate from now on. I'm very happy about that. I'm about to check out whatever the hell happened on Impact. Uh, but Thursday is definitely going to be my chill day, if you will. But yeah, NXT, AEW, the unopposed shows as well as the Monday night after Raw mess of a fucking show they had Monday. And whatever happens tomorrow night on SmackDown, we'll have a second show for you guys out there. But, um, yeah, just uh, you can find me at DaneAlves42 on Twitter or DaneAlves, A-L-V-E-S, V with as in Victor is what I tell people on the phone, um, on Facebook. And you can find Geek Fives Nation on Instagram, Facebook. We have our own website, geekfivesnation.com. We also have a Twitter so join the conversation, join Geek Fives Nation, and uh, yeah, just uh, you can listen to us on any audio platform. Just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance. You'll find our shows. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Pretty much any downloadable platform or Google search it. Either way, come find us. Listen to us every week. You guys have a wonderful evening. 
Let the geek fives be with you. And as always, peace out.